The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Bloodsport. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? Today, it's a Stone Delicious IPA. Cool. Also with us is Mugga. What up, Mugs? What's up, Gun? I don't know what just happened. There. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell just happened. That's staying in. Gun? <laughs> Go ahead. What the? My name is Gun. Uh, <laughs> I like panicked real quick. I don't know why. You're nervous? No. I, I always no, panic too. The first yeah. thing I say, I always yeah. panic every time. Also joining us is Mugga. What up, Mugs? What's up, Kevin? Uh, what are you drinking today? I also have a Stone IPA, but it's the Enjoy by date of 420. All right. Uh, making her debut on the show is Nicole. Nicole, how you doing? Hey guys. Uh, what are you drinking today? I am drinking a uh, beer from Bottle Logic, Nectar of the Night, a tart ale with some blood orange and raspberry. Sounds good. Fancy. Yeah. Ooh. And then uh, making his return on the show is Darren. What up, Darren? So, Kerwin, how you doing, man? I'm good, dude. Uh, what are you drinking today? Uh, I also have Bottle Logic, a hoppy lager. That's it. <laughs> you don't sound too happy about that. <laughs> it's sorry. It's whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, today we are talking about Bloodsport, uh, released February 26, 1988. Stars Jean-Claude Van Damme, Donald Gibb, Leah Aries, Norman Burton, Forrest Whitaker, Bolo Young, Ken Siu, Roy Chow, and Philip Chen. It's directed by New Arnold, and it's written by Christopher Cosby, Mel Friedman, and Sheldon Lettich. It's produced by The Cannon Group and distributed by Warner Brothers. So before we get into behind the scenes, Mugga, why don't you hit us with the financials? Okay, I have to take a deep breath because there's a lot to this. Um, If you go to Box Office Mojo, it basically has this as making around a little over 11, almost 12 million domestically, but I don't know if it's because it's so old that this, I, I found conflicting reports. I think it's grossed anywhere from 50 to 65 million, depending on what site you have. Um, and there's a reason for it. And I'll get into all that in a second. Um, opening weekend only made $515,000, uh, was released in 123 theaters. Um, on Box Office Mojo, it doesn't have anything worldwide or being in internationally, but I think it was produced internationally. And here's why. Um, the first weekend, it only made like 515, like I said. Um, only in 123 theaters in the next two weeks, it averaged a little bit less than that each time. But then three weeks from then on March 18th, it rose 4,000% in ticket sales. Well, that's according to, I, I'm wondering if they then released it internationally or it was just old and that's when they had things. I can answer that. Okay. Cause I could not find it. So we'll get into a lot of this stuff. Um, but they were really, they weren't very confident about the movie at all. At all. So what they did was they only released it in three states. Okay. In the beginning. So it was only California, Oregon, and Washington. Okay. So that's why that opening weekend's so low. Oh, and wow. then four, three or four weeks from then, that's when it skyrocketed, right? Yeah. So what I read was that they actually made back their budget that first weekend. And right. they're like, holy crap. So then they went, the next weekend it was in all over the, the U.S. Okay. And that's why it rose that much. Got it. Okay. Um, so if it's making anywhere from 50 to 65 million on where you look at it, very successful because what I read according to Wikipedia and other sites kind of varied around this, but around $2.3 million was the budget to make this film, Jesus. which is a lot of money in 1988, but still, I mean, yeah. they, they really got their return on it. Um, in theaters that weekend, there was a lot of nothing that I could really, I mean, 
Bloodsport at the opening weekend debuted at number 20. And there was Good Morning Vietnam at number one. It wasn't its opening weekend, but there was also Three Men and a Baby and Fatal Attraction. And that's the only movies that I could actually identify with. But I did look in the next weekend that we're talking about where it re-released and it rose to number one. <laughs> so it <Yeah>. didn't, it, <laughs> so that weekend it was number one. And the only thing was, it was a couple other movies like Good Morning Vietnam was still in theaters, but it had to go up against Police Academy 5. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> dude, you know? And uh, yeah, so there's some other things. Um, getting into... Some some other stuff. Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, he has been in 28 movies as a leading role. He's made a little over 362 million. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Wow. But um, I did get a list of his movies um, ranking for list as far as box office. Where do you think Blood Sports box office? Yeah. Uh, is this like accounted for inflation too, or kind of? Yeah, adjusted inflation is what it's got. Where do you think Blood Sport ranks? I might put it in his top three. No, it's nope. not even close. Oh, no, okay. I was so going to say top three as he, well. I have a list, and I, I, Jason, I know you're going to get into the Rotten Tomatoes. According to Rotten Tomatoes, it's 16th as far as its rating for the actual movie. It's also 16th box office-wise for adjusted inflation. Damn. But he was in Kung Fu Panda 1 and 2. Did you guys know that? I did no. not know that. So the, that's that's his 1 and oh, 2 movies. So he was 16th. Uh, his 10th all-time movie, Nowhere to Run. <laughs> uh, Lionheart was 9. Double Impact, 8. Hard Target, 7. Street Fighter, which I thought was weird. It was lower, but that was 6. Um, Universal Soldier, The Expendables, and then Time Cop. I think Time Cop mm. was his highest uh, grossing movie um, when he was the lead in, because he obviously he's at the lead in Expendables and all that. But um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it would have been higher, but it's actually 16th wow. of all time of his movies. But another side note, and we'll get into it, but he only made 25000 for this movie. Yeah, what? That's all he made. I think he was promised if he returned like 50000 for the second and seventy five for the third, but he didn't return for I the other ones. I didn't know that, yeah. yeah. Um, is it bad that his top 10 movies, I've seen all of them besides the Kung Fu Pandas. <laughs> like I feel kind of like I need to get a life or something because I've seen all of them. But I do love Bloodsport. I thought financially it would be better. And I was surprised that rating-wise it was lower too. It was a 16th yeah. rated film, which is weird. I mean, you'll get into the to the uh, ratings in a second, but I, I thought it would have been higher. But anyways, yeah, those are the financials. All right, Jason, uh, tell us what the people thought of this movie. Okay, so according to Rotten Tomatoes, um, the critics, 40% of them liked it with an average rating of 4.67 out of 10. There was 25 ratings. Um, <laughs> 10 gave it Ten gave it a, a fresh rating, 15 a rotten. Pretty low. I would imagine there'd be more ratings, but I guess it's older. More of these guys probably just review newer movies. Maybe. Um, I mean, you got to think Rotten Tomatoes wasn't around back when this came out. So, yeah. Um, audience score. So, 74% of the audience gave it a 3.5 or higher. The average rating was 3.9 out of 5 with 68,000 ratings. So, um, pretty big disparity. I mean, yeah. 34%. So, IMDb gave it a 6.8 out of 10 with 72,000 reviews. I looked at the demos again. It's kind of all over the place. The highest was females under 18 but there's only two votes so it's okay. like it, it gets real skewed because like it's so old huh? well yeah and the majority of the votes are um like 40 plus like that's where a lot of these votes are coming from at least on this one so um but it did pretty good i mean on rotten tomatoes i mean there's always funny uh <laughs> uh reviews it's like little one sentences um, like one of them, this guy's Simon Cunliffe from Time Out. He says, a well-plucked turkey, humorless and plagued by a script full of stilted mumbo-jumbo. And that's one of his reviews. Um, another, another, another rotten uh, review was, Bloodsport has zero cinematic merits and is an apology for violence. <laughs> 
Um, another one was a campy Van Damme action or fit for lovers of B films. So, I mean, it was kind of interesting to learn that this was a low budget film. I, yeah. I, I saw it it's from the eighties. I just kind of took it at face value. I never knew it was a low budget film before doing the research, but, but this is, and I know we'll kind of get into it. It's a cult classic. I'm surprised it has that little because so many people have seen this movie, but yet it wasn't at the, I don't know how that is like worked out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, Everyone that I talk to has seen this movie for the most part, you know, and we'll get into like that in a bit. But I'm surprised it was so like. Yeah, I feel like throughout our lives, like we've all said about Bloodsport. Blood you've you ever know, seen I know it's such a badass it, movie. Know, time, but yeah. Yeah, I think, but, uh, I mean, when you talk about uh, the amount of people that reviewed it, like the, the audience as opposed to critics, and, you know, and their their average score was what, like 3.9 out of 5 or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I could definitely see them rating it that high. And, it's, you know, it's like we're all saying it's a cult classic. Like yeah. when you grow up, yeah, you know, Bloodsport's on that list of movies that you had to have seen or, you know, people just love for whatever reason. So I, I think there's definitely, you know, that attachment to it you know, from an audience perspective, whether it's like the nostalgia or you had to be the right age when it came out or maybe your dad, your uncle, or your older brother showed it to you, like a parent or something like when you were a kid and maybe that's why you're attached to it. But I think um, I, I could definitely see like why in the late 80s people kind of like fell in love with this because mm -hmm. we're we're still right in that high of like the kung fu movies. Bruce going, Lee post, right? Yeah, yeah, post Bruce Lee, going to East Asia, all that, like you know, martial arts yeah. stuff was like huge in the late 80s, mid 90s. But this was his first film. Like he was not, I mean, I know he was in a couple things which I'll get into, but he wasn't like a star yet, no. right, you know? Yeah, but I mean, I think the big selling point too is that it was marketed as based on a True story. true story yeah so i think that's what was which we'll get into yeah which i thought was probably a lot of its appeal yeah but yeah that's all i got for the for the ratings all right jay uh take us behind the scenes of Bloodsport. okay so <laughs> you guys have to hold on for a while because i'm going to talk a lot about frank dukes because he's a real person <laughs> but that might be the only thing that's real it's just him <laughs> as a human being because a lot of the stuff that he talks about is has been disproved it's embellished it's fucking off the wall so just hang on tight. I'm going to go through this. I'll try to talk slowly. If you guys have something to interject, please do. But I'm going to run through him, and then we'll kind of get into, you know, the, the casting, the production, and stuff like that. But I just want to kind of throw it out there how, like, who this person is um, and how this movie came to be. So Frank Dukes was born in uh, 1956 in Toronto, Canada. He says he was – so I'm going to say that a lot. He says things. <laughs> Um, he says he's brought to, it's called Masuda, Japan, when he was 16, some sites say it was 13, uh, to train as a ninja by the world-famous uh, ninjutsu trainer Senzo, uh, in quotes, Tiger Tanaka. So that guy that we see, um, he's, he's actually a real person. Whether he got trained by him or not, that's a whole different story, but he is a real person. Dukes, uh, he served in the Marine Corps. Uh, from 75 to 81, and said he participated in a lot of covert missions in uh, Southeast Asia, and he also says he was awarded the Medal of Honor. But this has been disputed. Uh, Dukes' military records that were obtained through um, the Freedom of Information uh, show he had never served overseas and was never given any award. <laughs> so just start. to start off, he was in the Marine Corps, but he was never given any awards or anything like that. Frank claims that his record was deliberately sabotaged to discredit him. So he thinks that there's people out there like to just have it out for him that are just trying to like shit all over him. Um, there was a picture of Dukes in a military uniform with his service ribbons in the wrong order. And the Medal of Honor he was wearing is from the Army rather than the Marines. Jesus. <laughs> so 
this is where I got a lot of my info. Uh, this guy named John Johnson from the LA Times, he was doing a story on Frank Dukes. So he like kind of followed him around, asked him a lot of questions, um, but he questioned him about the medal and Frank claimed that he didn't know why, he, didn't, he said he didn't know why the Marines would give him the wrong medal of honor. Right. So he's <laughs> like, the Marines are dumb, not me. Like yeah. they gave me the wrong medal. Years later, he would go on to say it was just a Halloween costume. Jesus. Wow. So Frank also claimed to have been a Vietnam vet in multiple magazines, but it was later found that he enlisted after the war was over. So many publications were going to disprove Dukes' military claims, such as Stolen Valor, Soldier of Fortune magazine. In late 1980, he so this is kind of where we're starting to see some of this Kumite stuff come out. Because technically this, the, the story of Bloodsport that we're, we're seeing took place in the early 80s, right? If it my took, timeline is correct, right? It took place in 75. It did? I yeah. thought it was, oh, okay. Yeah, so that's, uh, according to his story, okay. that's when he participated in it. Um, well, he didn't, but we'll <laughs> get into that in a second too. So in 1980, uh, he kind of helped contribute to a magazine called Black Belt. Uh, giving advice on martial arts and knife fighting. Uh, he claimed he was decorated for his knife fighting in actual combat in Southeast Asia. So through this magazine, in 19, he said in 1975 that he participated in a 60-round single elimination tournament, tournament in the Bahamas called the Kumite that was held every five years. So he's telling this guy, I'll get into him in a little bit. In the bit. Bahamas? Yeah, he said it took place in the Bahamas. Um, it's fucking bullshit, man. <laughs> yeah, it was first written about in 1980 in that in that black belt. Uh, he claims he was the first person that was given permission to talk about the tournament. He was the first Westerner to ever participate in this tournament. So everyone else was from you know Asia. Other, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was the first person. Um, he claims he earned several world records. So we kind of saw at the end of the movie, um, he earned world records for consecutive knockouts, including the fastest knockout in 0.12 seconds. He told Black Belt Magazine his fight record so far at this point in 1980 was 320 wins, one loss, and seven draws. He would later say in a 2014 interview uh, with Access TV that between 75 and 80, he had a record of 30, 329 wins and zero losses. So this so guy's just story just... Contradicting. Ever just, evolving. Yeah. Oh, it changes. And it's not just about this Kumite thing. It's about his entire life. Like, what kind of fighter doesn't know their own record? I get it. It's been, what... 20 plus years since he did this initial interview, but it's like, I feel like that's something you know. Yeah, that's not something you forget. Or yeah. it's something written down eventually at yeah. some point. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Yeah, I mean, this whole guy's story, it, and we could do a podcast just on this guy, right. and it could probably be a 10 part podcast. Like, I swear <laughs> to God, this guy's written books, he's helped out with movies. It's, it's insane. Um, so, John Stewart, not the John Stewart we know, but John Stewart was the author of the Black Belt magazine at the time, writing about Frank's win in the Kumite in 1988. So the same year that the movie came out, he expressed regret for writing the article saying it was naive for him to believe Dukes' story. The editor of Black Belt said the story was based on false premises and they could find no such evidence of the competition. So it gets even deeper. So the Ministry of Sports in the Bahamas, an employee, his name is Kenneth Wilson, disputed the existence of the tournament and that something of that scale could not be kept in secret. Like there's no way that this thing happened under the radar. There was an invoice for the alleged organization that held the tournament. Guess who the point of contact was? Frank, Frank Dukes. Dukes. Frank yeah. Dukes. It was later discovered. So again, he won a trophy. He won the sword, supposedly, from what he says. So it was later discovered that the trophy he had earned from the tournament was bought at a local trophy shop. Um, 
LA Times writer John the John Johnson guy I was talking about earlier, he actually hunted down the receipt to show Jesus. that he bought this wow. fucking trophy in the, in the store. Um, Dukes later told John Johnson, the LA Times, to talk with a person named, so I've heard two different names, but one name is Richard Robinson, uh, to confirm his story. So he told this guy, John Johnson, because he's getting all this stuff from other people saying, hey, this guy's bullshit. And so Frank Dukes said, like, hey, uh, I got this buddy, go talk to him. Like, he can confirm everything that's happened. So supposedly Robinson is the one that per- is portrayed by uh, uh, Ray Jackson. Okay. So that's his kind of character. Frank told uh, John Johnson that Robinson was a, a bad, like a badass biker guy. That's probably why we see the Harley Davidson yeah. bandana um, that knew how to fight. And he actually competed with him at an opposing high school. Like he knew this guy from high school. Um, later we find out that they went to the same high school. Um, it's just weird. Like why, like why say that lie? Like why does it matter? Right. Like, why say it's just so crazy? Um, after more digging into Dukes' story, uh, they presented it to Robinson. So Robinson, like, they they approach this guy. They, he just totally backs up Frank Dukes. He just tells him, like, hey, you know what? This guy's totally right. He did this Kumite thing. He he participated in it. He won all the things he said. And then later on, they had a falling out. And Robinson uh, he confessed to lying about the story. Frank and Richard were friends at high school, and he said he just went along with Frank's story just to kind of back him up. Dukes also wrote a few books. One in particular is The Secret Man, an American warrior's uncensored story, where he claims to have met the CIA director, William J. Casey, in the restroom, and was recruited to do covert missions, including destroying a fuel depot in Nicaragua and a chemical weapons plant in Iraq. So now we're just (laughs) building on the bullshit. Like it's, I'm telling you this could be a podcast in itself. So in this book, he names these generals of, of them in the military and these these directors of the CIA, and um, they all claim that it was complete fabrication. They even had lawyers write to the publishing company that published the book, saying it needs to be recalled. The succeeding CIA director said that nobody by the name of Frank Dukes ever worked for the CIA, claiming that that book was a sheer fantasy. Dukes even wrote in the book that his father worked for the Mossad and the Jewish Brigade before World War II, but all of this was disproved. <laughs> so it's not even like just himself, but he's Im- implicating other people that are just, they're just shitting all over it. Like you're he's just a pathological liar. liar is yeah. what you're getting at. <laughs> and, and that's all he is. I mean, all this stuff is fabricated. Um, other claims Dukes has made. Um, so the Kumite sword. So we see in the beginning of the movie, yeah. and then we see him get awarded it at the end. Um, when he was asked where it was, this is the craziest one. He said that he had sold it in an attempt to buy the freedom of a boat of orphans that were going to be enslaved. But he later saved them from pirates. He also claimed that he stopped an assassination attempt on Steven Seagal. But I also read that he was offered $25,000 to kill him. Like, I'm telling you, and this is stuff he has said. Jesus. Like, just, this guy's nuts. Like, you don't get any of this from the movie? No. (laughs) You're saying he lost the original sword? Yeah, so he didn't lose it. He tried to sell it because he was trying to to save these these this boat of orphans that were going to be enslaved. So he was going to pay these slave traders to to buy this boat of orphans. Gotcha. Um, but they but he ultimately saved them from pirates. Mm. Um, totally believable. Um, he also claims that he stopped an assassination assassination attempt on Steven Seagal, like I said. Why or would Steven Seagal have an assassination? Steven Seagal is a martial art master. He doesn't need anyone to protect him. He's Van Damme without the body. (laughs) He's Van Damme with hair. (laughs) 
I, I, he he talks about how a lot of martial art like master rivals like are the ones trying to discount his story. So right. I don't know if he ever came. I didn't read anything about Steven Seagal saying anything about this guy, but maybe he came out and said it's all bullshit. Because like I said, he was also offered twenty five grand to kill him, according to him. And like I was talking about, uh, the discrepancies with his martial arts history are fabrications of rival ninjutsu masters. Uh, specifically, one guy, his name is Stephen Hayes out of Ohio. Um, but it's weird because some people still believe some parts of his story. And I just don't know how that's possible. Like you start reading this stuff and it just sounds like all bullshit. The only thing that's really concrete is that he was in the Marines. Outside of that, none of this is believable. Nothing else lines up. Yeah. Okay, but like, is his name even Frank? <laughs> I don't know. It could be something else, man. I don't know at this point. It's like Lionel. So the only thing that's confirmed is he was a Marine. Nothing else. Yeah. So like he claims to be a Vietnam vet, but he enlisted after the Vietnam War. Um, he, he claims to have been in the CIA and do covert missions. He came out with that story after the, pre- the director he supposedly talked to passed away. So it's like n- no one's there to back up his story. So he can say whatever he wants. Right. Uh, this whole Kumite thing. Like no one can find concrete evidence. Yeah, I mean, it, there's nothing. I mean, he had like a some kind of invoice, but his point of contact was him. <laughs> there's no trophy. Well, there's no real trophy. There's no sword. There's there's no evidence in the Bahamas of this happening. Like all of this is just bullshit, which kind of sucks because I feel like when I was a kid, you like, wanted it to be true. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I remember seeing like I looked up all these posters, these images it's on like Google, the and it all all-American says, hero, man. And it said based on a true life, true story. true life story. Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of a bummer. So that's kind of about Frank Deuce. I'm going to get into the script now a little bit. Um, well, a lot of it, actually. Um, so I'm, I hope I pronounce his name right. I think it's Sheldon Latish, or is it Latich? I think it's Latish. So Let's go with Latish. Yes, yeah, it says more fish. Yeah, I like Latish better, too. Yeah. So Latish is the one that came up with the idea of the film based on Frank's story. So they had met through Latish's agent about a movie idea based on one of Frank Deuce's other books called The Last Rainbow. Yeah. It was a Vietnam War-based novel, but of course, as we all know, it, we, we find out he was not even in the Vietnam War, so um, I'm glad, I don't think they ever did that movie, but at the time, Latish says he believed everything Frank told him. Like, whatever bullshit poured out of this guy's mouth, he just fucking believed him. And he's like, dude, like, I don't bullshit. Like, I don't bullshit people. So if someone tells me they were in the Marines, they're a Vietnam vet, I just take them at their word. And that's what he told to slashfilm.com, that he just believed, you know, whatever he said. So Frank also told Latish the story about the Kumite in the tournament and that it was called Bloodsport. And when Latish heard that name, Bloodsport, he was like, that's like the fucking best title for a movie ever. Yeah. So we're going to make this movie. Latish would later meet up with Mark DeSalle, the producer, uh, over lunch and tell DeSalle about Frank's story of Bloodsport. And Latish was hired on on the spot to write the script. So Frank Dukes has claimed at one point they had written the script under this ti- under the title Enter the Ninja, but this was untrue. Latish and Frank would write a handful of scripts together um, over the years that they were friends. Frank Dukes even starred in a short film called Fireside, but he did not take part in writing the script. So that's one thing that I saw a lot, but it's, it's disproved. Um, Frank has obviously a very interesting story about his life, um, real or fake. Um, but he only allowed the film to use the part about the Kumite. He allowed them to use his name, and they allowed him. They allowed them to say that it's based on a true story. Although we do see him in the military and the, like Forrest Whitaker, they, they may be CIA agents, but that that's not part of. They only he only sold the rights to just the Kumite fight and his story about that. 
So Frank did contribute ideas to the script, but again, he did not write it. I didn't know much about Sheldon Latish, the the writer. Um, he's also written Rambo Three, yeah, Double Impact, and then Lionheart. Um, there's an interesting interview. Wasn't he connected also to Kickboxer a little bit? I think he was connected to that a little yeah. bit too. I know, like we'll, we'll talk about it. Like there's a, a down period of like almost two years, and I think him and Van Dam worked on stuff in between that right. time too. Um, so he, they've, especially them too. They're they're partnered up a lot with some things around this era. Um, but yeah, he takes part in a lot of these these canon films. So there's a an interview. I just thought it was kind of funny. I'll just bring it up real quick. Um, according to Latish in an interview with Asian Movie Pulse. In quotes, um, had known Frank Dukes for a number of months before I came up with the idea of Bloodsport. Frank told me a lot of tales, most of which turned out to be bullshit. But his stories about participating in a so-called Kumite event sound like a great idea for a movie. There was one guy who he introduced to me named, he says Richard Bender, but I think it's that Richard Robinson guy, who claimed to have actually been at the Kumite event and who swore everything Frank told me was true. A few years later, this guy had a falling out with Frank and confessed to me that everything about the Kumite was a lie. Frank had coached him in what to say. He also goes on in the interview to say that Frank told almost everyone that he participated in secret missions with the CIA and military and that he had won the Medal of Honor for heroism. He even showed it to Latish saying he was awarded it by the president of the U.S. at the time. People began questioning the validity of his stories. He then stopped claiming he had won the medal and said that he had never won it. So he tells everyone he's won it. He even shows so Latish. He's caught in a line. He admits he lies. Yeah. So he even shows Latish that the medal, but then he stopped claiming he won the medal. He said he never said that he won it. So Latish said all of his lies came back to bite him in the ass, and that he is a delusional daydreamer and a big bullshitter. So um, they kind of left him with a bad taste in his mouth, obviously. <laughs> so that's kind of all I have about the script. Um, did you have anything else, Muggs, to well, add? I, th- I thought Latisse did a couple changes that Frank was pissed off about and was going to take him to court, right? The, I read some there stuff was about About that. the whole how he met his Shidoshi, like breaking through the window. I heard oh, yeah. Frank was pissed off, and he yeah. said this is so disrespectful. And, if you, and he, want, he was thinking about taking him to court because of the way he wrote it. I mean, he's making it for a movie, but, you know. Wait, so he was mad because he didn't like... He thought it was disrespectful that to show him that he, he was broke. breaking and entering, you know, and all that. Yeah, and he was pissed off that that's how they were portraying him, you know, making up a lie about his yeah. fabricated yeah. life, and that's how he met his quote unquote Sadoshi. How do you lie about my lie? How dare you <laughs> yeah. lie about my lie? You add yeah. details to my. And I think there's other things too that Latish did that Frank was upset about. That was just the one that I actually found, you know. But yeah. Well, I think the script, too, I mean, throughout the filming of the movie, too, just gets butchered. Like, they cut it down a lot, and it's very frustrating, I think, to Van Damme, to a lot of people on set. I mean, we'll kind of talk about what happened to the movie in this, like, interim period where it was shot, and then it come out for a couple of years after that. But I heard there was a lot of alterations that were super frustrating because it was a handful of them that were shooting the movie out in Hong Kong, and then, like, Latish didn't even meet Van Damme, I think, until after the movie was shot. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Um, a lot of communication overseas and a lot of script editing, especially by DeSalle. So lots of frustration around the script. But kind of want to jump into the cast a little bit. Yeah. So Muggs, what, what do you have for cast? I, I got a lot on the casting. So we have a script, right? So now you got to cast it. And the, we'll start with Van Damme. Um, the way he got the, uh, 
part is interesting. Um, I've read three different theories. The one that I think is real, basically Van Damme states that on an interview, Manum Golan, who is the head of Canon Films, um, he basically went and had like an actual interview with him and basically showed him his splits, his muscles, and said, hey, I'm also cheap right now. And he was given wow. the, uh, the part right then and there for Bloodsport. I heard a little, so I, I heard that too. So he walks in the room, he does his splits, he says he shows off his muscles. That's his resume. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, I'm also cheap. Wow. But well, this Mannheim guy, or Mannheim, uh, he says that, so, okay, so on Collider, John Claude was on there for an interview, and he talks about this part specifically. He says that there's a lot of rumors out there what happened, but what he says is that that's what he did. He showed the muscles and did the splits. But then he's like, you know what? Chuck Norris, that's a star. Um, this guy, that's a star. You, not a star. It's not going to happen. And I get, John claude just says his face dropped, his, it, like he was about to cry almost, or look like he was about to kill himself. Like he was just so disappointed. Uh-huh. Then he's like, he could see it, that this Manham guy could see it. And so he asked John claude to walk around the, the desk, sit down, calm down a little bit. And he's like, this, this is weird, but he's like, would you like some milk? Oh. John claudes like, yes. He's like, would you like some cookies? And he's like, yes. Like almost treating like a child. What the heck? Give him some milk, give him some cookies. And then he goes back out and he yells for his assistant to grab the, the copy of Bloodsport, slams it down the table. He's like, all right, I'll give you a shot. Fucking Santa Claus with the cookies and milk got him the part? <laughs> it's really Splits, weird. Splits, cookies, and milk. It's wow. weird coming out of his well, mouth. It's, yeah, how he it's says about it. to get weirder because that's what Van Damme is stating. Um, I haven't heard anything about this Golan guy saying anything about it, but there's theories that Van Damme, Van Damme at the time was from Belgium, is in Hollywood trying to make it with his martial arts capability. Um, does like jobs like limo driving and other stuff. He saw this guy of the head of Canon Film going outside of a restaurant and ran to him and did a kick almost to his face to show him. And he was offered the part then. There's that theory. Or there's also, I think Van Damme had a couple roles in movies that he had like a very small role in, right? And then like Frank Duke says, no, that's how he was noticed and then they were gonna get, I, I don't know, I think it's more or less he had the interview. So this is his first leading role. Very, very first one, yeah. No I mean, shit. Yeah. He was also in The Predator though, he had his opportunity, he was the actual predator in that movie, but he what? complained about the suit. No. And the la- swear, the lack of martial arts, so he was fired <laughs> from being the predator. Fan damn it! Yeah. So, so I, I, just to piggyback on what you're saying, Muggs, I think what happened was We'll find out, and I'll talk about it in a little bit, but Golan, he did not like Van Damme at all. Well, yeah, and he it's funny that you like say him. that he wasn't even the first choice, right, for this movie. Yeah, but he, he told the other producer, Mark DeSalle, he's like, hey, like, we're going to cut this guy. Like, Golan's going to cut this guy. And he's like, I need Latish and Frank Dukes. I need you guys to go watch this movie. It's called um, No Retreat, No Surrender. Okay. And it was released in France, I think. But somehow they got a copy of it. He's like, I need you guys to go watch this and tell me what you think of him. Letitia and Frank Deuce go and watch it, and they love him. They go back to DeSalle and say, hey, we need this guy. And then they almost immediately go into production. Right. So, like, that was a big part of why Van they Because Van Damme was well-known over in Europe, right? 
He had not done, in America. Yeah, yeah, but even then, like a lot of it's not a lot of big name yeah. movies. Yeah. So he wasn't what I read wasn't the first choice. They actually wanted to go with a guy called Michael Dudikoff. Is that how you say his name? Um, however, people, producers, right, did not feel he was going to be the best fit because he was actually six two. And I don't think Frank Deuce is that tall. I don't know his actual height, right? But they th- yeah. thought this guy was too tall to make the movie. So they ended up um, actually going with Van Damme, and that's how we have the star of the movie. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, huh? I guess you don't need to be tall, huh? There you go. Tall. Well, what I like, too, about Van Damme is that he was actually a world-class kickboxer, too. Yeah. I mean, it, it shows on the screen. Well, he, and he had he had 18 knockouts to his record by this time, yeah. too. So um, Let's go into the villain. Uh, it's Bolo Young, right? Is that how you say his mm-hmm. name? Um, he was famous for being a bodybuilder. I think he was also known for being Mr. Asia. I don't know if you guys ever heard about that. However, he befriended Bruce Lee in the 70s, and he actually ended up getting the role, or the villain role, actually, for Enter the Dragon, and I believe that's why they gave him the role for this villain, for this movie, because he does a good job. I mean, it's part of my treasure. I'll get into it. I do like him as a villain. Um, You think he's like this dick, right? I mean, he killed... No, people said he was the nicest guy in the world. Like, on set, he was really nice, would bring his son and play with him during, like, takes and all that stuff. A little fun fact, he ended up working with Van Damme later on on Double Impact, which I got to go back and watch that one. I didn't, I didn't know he was on that. Um, this is going to be funny for you guys because me being a Chargers fan, let's go into Ray Jackson, his buddy. He actually was on Revenge of the Nerds, right? Yeah, which, ogre. Yeah. yeah. But he actually played professional football for the Chargers. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I don't think he had a successful career. It was <laughs> short like, career yeah, for sure. Short. Then he went into like you know acting. Um, I'll get into the the martial arts people in a second. Forrest Whitaker plays Rollins. Norman Burton plays Helmer, and then Leah Ayers plays Janice. I have nothing on them. I have no idea why they were casted. What the reason? The only thing I could ever find out was Forrest Whitaker's like, oh, he ended up winning an Oscar. That's all I could ever find. Nothing to this movie. He just, just he had a great career, but nothing of like how they got the part, what it was about. But I mean, if you take those three out of the movie, does the movie still work? You talk about uh, Homegirl and the two inspectors. Yes, yes. I mean, I there, there's no need for them to be in the movie. You could fill anyone in in yeah. those roles. I actually was just gonna say that before yeah. you even mentioned that that I don't even think they served like you could definitely a take out the girl. The, the girl movie. does not need to be there at all. I mean, you could take. Uh, we'll get into that in our trash and treasures. Let's get into the to the mashed potatoes and meat and all this part. Um, stuntmen. There were no stuntmen in this movie. They uh, had a low budget, so they had to actually hire people with actual martial arts backgrounds, according to Frank Dukes. Um, they need to be able to take a punch, is what he was quoted saying. I even read that they wanted people with dancing backgrounds. I don't know what that is. Maybe like the finesse of it. I, I, I Everything was choreographed. You yeah, can tell. So there's that. Um, <laughs> and this is according, I'm going to read a quote from The Mental Floss. While the movie is predominantly made up of actors like Van Damme and actress Leia Ayers, the production wanted the Kumite to be as authentic as possible. So they hired real-life martial artists to fight alongside Van Damme. For instance, Paolo Toka, I think that's how you say his name, who plays Muay Thai fighter Paco, is a real-life Muay Thai champion and one of the first Westerners to train in the martial arts. Michael Kise, who played kickboxer Son, was a fellow martial artist and friend of Van Damme's who trained at the same karate dojo with him in Belgium. This is how they all are friends. And Kise followed Van Damme to Los Angeles and found himself in a part in Bloodsport and eventually played the villain Tong Po in Kickboxer. So that was kind of cool. Um, there's another guy that's big in this movie. It's the guy that does the part with the female at the hotel. Oh, the yeah. Asian guy oh, yeah. with the tooth? Yeah, the tooth. Yeah, his name is Bernard uh, Marino. Um, he's the villain at the hotel. Um, he has the first fight with Van Damme, 
in their fight and they actually caught he's actually catching that elbow that you guys see so they had choreographed it they were all set in stone and what he was supposed to do is basically tap his shoulder and then Van Damme was going to come around but something happened where Van Damme just went so what you're seeing is him really catching that elbow and he had to go to the hospital because of it oh dang yeah he was actually going to school I think you have why he was going to school out in Hong Kong right I forget like what magician I, or something or let me see I know he's a magician now but um he caught like the actual elbow the blood that you see is all real, but he was actually so happy to be a part of this movie because he was only getting paid at the time in Hong Kong, 3000 a month. They were paying him a thousand dollars a day. So he like loved it. And after he went from the hospital, he came back, he said, I'll film anything else you guys want me to do and all that. And he still will like go to the airport and people will identify him as you're that guy in blood sport. Yeah. So I, th- I thought that was really interesting. Well, there's two things I want to add to that too. They said that he had to get, um, obviously stitches. Yes. And- for whatever reason, they said he got paid $1,000 for every stitch he had to get. Because, it, I mean, they weren't planning for him to get hit that hard. Right. So That he, was insurance money or what? I guess. But he told John Clyde, he's like, hey, can you hit me again that hard on the other side? He's like, I want to <laughs> go on vacation. Like, I just need some more cash. Wow. But I guess he had to go back. Because, like, so that happened. But they wanted to get the scene of them dragging his body off the mat. Right. So that's so why he went back. That's yeah. why he had to yeah. go back to film that. Yeah. Oh. He actually said that he was getting $1,000 a day for a 10-day shoot. The reason why I want to bring this up is because I couldn't find the filming schedule or how long. I think, and Jason and I collaborated about this, we think they only film for about 10 days in Hong Kong. I can't imagine it being more because there's, I mean, what, two sets? There's Well, like, you have places in Hong Kong, which I'll get into that, but then there's also the set, but Jason has confirmed that that was also filmed in a studio in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, so there's the city that we see when they go underground or when they're running, but most of it, like all the Kumite stuff, it's filmed in a studio. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, it's, it's weird, though, because like you go on IMDb, and they say that like filming began October 15th, 1986. Okay. This film didn't come out till 88. Didn't come out till two years February later. 88. Yeah, so it's like... Like a year and a half. Year and a half, yeah. But like it didn't come out for a long time. So it's weird. I couldn't find how many days. But this this guy in an interview specifically says, I got paid $1,000 a day for a 10-day shoot. And he's one of, you know, quote unquote, main guys of the movie. Because he's in a hotel with them. He's, he's in multiple in scenes. Yeah. at the Kumite. Yeah. Yeah. You so know. it's I, it's hard to find stuff about the actual making of this movie, wow. um, but that that's what I found too. And Mugga, you said this movie was delayed too, right? Well, we'll get into that. It was delayed two years. That in the post production, we'll talk about it. Um, but going on the locations. There was actually the stuff that you see of like in this little city. I think you have some fun facts. It, what is it called? It's, how do you even pronounce it? I don't even want to. It's Kowloon Walled City. Kowloon Walled City. That's where you see him in that tunnel and like almost like where there's just like a small area with so many people, you know, and, and that, that part just always like kind of creeped me out. I was like, how do people live like this? But they said that it was once a Chinese military fort and that in the 60s and 70s was ran by the Chinese triad. So a lot of gang activity. But Undercover they, stuff. Y- oh, yeah. A lot, probably a lot of bad things too. Underground, yeah. Yeah, yeah just in Black these, market stuff. Yeah, just back in these like corners and crevices of the this like little area because they said that by 1990, there was 50,000 residents in this little city, and it was only about six and a half acres big. 
Six and a half acres? Yeah. Six and a half acres. 50,000 people. If you see pictures of this, it, it's tiny. This was <laughs> demolished in we, 93, 94. Jason and I were looking yeah. it up. We don't know. So it's no longer in existence. Um, before we get into the post-production, I want to do a fun fact about the costumes. I guess Frank Dukes was not happy with the way the costumes were or they originally had. So what he did was he ended up creating Jean-Claude Vidam's, especially the final, co- but it's just altered bicycle shorts is what he basically, and he paid for it out of his own pocket because he wanted, I think they had him what, like some like silk, like pants or something at first is what they wanted Well, no, to he wear. had like a real karate like yeah. gi on, like a big uniform, but I think, yeah. and that's more traditional. They said that Frank Dukes wanted him to be in shorts because he thought it looked better, but it is not accurate at okay. all. Yeah, he just wanted to do that. So post-production, I mean, I don't know if you want to take this, Jace, but basically, I don't know if it was the person, that Golem guy, or the actual producer of the film, but they just wanted to shelve it, right? They thought it would look so horrible. Shelve it or put it straight to VHS. So some of the production stuff, we kind of already talked about that it started filming, you know, in 86, which is like about a year and a half to two years before it actually came out. Supposedly it's a 10-day shoot. Um, I just want to say that Frank Dukes was actually, um, he was operating two different martial arts schools in LA at the time that this movie was being filmed. So, um, and like, I think we talked about earlier that he created his own style of karate called Dukes Ryu Ninjutsu. Uh, and he actually served as a fight coordinator on the movie. So Muggs, like you were saying, after filming the movie, it's it's weird. Like it it didn't come out for a while. It sat on the shelf for a couple years. I thought they threatened it to go to VHS, right? Yeah. So, again, back to does the, anyone the co- know what a VHS is anymore? I know, yeah. right? <laughs> Barely. So yeah, straight to straight to DVD. We'll say uh, uh, of our time now. Um, so the co-owner of Canon, um, Manaham Golan, he hated the movie. He fucking despised this movie. He didn't like John Claude Van Damme just didn't like it so he did not want to put it out the writer Latish Sheldon Latish he he thought it was rough too so they all watched this first screening of it once they got back from Hong Kong even John Claude in that interview with Collider he talks about that he cried the first time he watched it because he did not like it he thought it was awful he thought the way they shot him they said some of the kicks he was doing he's up in the air and there's like all these angles and these fast cuts and it just he's like this looks like shit Yeah, it wasn't cohesive. Yeah, it wasn't at all. So, like, they were all pretty upset with it, but no one more than this Golem guy. He just, he didn't. Who's who's this Golem guy again? He's the He's a co-owner of. Canon um, Films. Yeah, Canon Films. Gotcha. Yeah. He's a pretty big dude at the time. Um, He, like I said, he had issues with the script. And but more importantly, with John Claude Van Damme, again, he didn't think he was a star. He didn't think he was a good actor. He was not quiet about his feelings either. Like he made it known that he hated the movie. Um, he thought John Claude couldn't couldn't act at all. He was right on that at the time. He was pretty spot on. <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe I don't know. I think. <laughs> um, um, so after a while, like John Claude called Latish from Hong Kong and kind of told him his issues with the script and all the changes already that DeSalle was making. So when he got back to LA, like he kind of met up with Latish, um, the, the writer, Sheldon Latish. And I didn't know that that was like the first time that they had ever met. So John Claude had never met the writer of the movie until he was done filming it. He didn't even speak to the writer of the movie until he was in Hong Kong. So it was very like compartmentalized. Like it was like, you're going to write this and then we're going to go shoot it and this and that. So like they didn't even know each other really. So John Claude got on the phone with Latish from Hong Kong. I said, dude, like we're, we're doing the movie, but it's like, it, like we're shitting the bed a little bit here. Like the, the script keeps getting changed and it's, it's changing a lot. Like, 
it is what it is. We're going to do it. And they did it fast. But when he got back to L.A., they promised each other they would meet up and talk. They became really good friends. I think they said that their wives were pregnant at the same time. So, like, even their wives, like, it just it came very cohesive. They even worked on other projects. Kickboxer was one of them, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's weird because, like, during this time, like, Kickboxer still, I mean, sorry, Bloodsport still isn't out. Like, it's just, it's just shelved right now. It's just sitting there. So then they returned at some point to Bloodsport and they called in an editor because when they watched the movie, they said it was just all over the place. They couldn't put it together. So they called in one of their in-house editors at Canon. His name is Michael Duthie uh, to edit. And also John claude helped edit too, which I thought was pretty cool. So like all the fight scenes, like John claudes like sitting there helping him edit. So they were able to fix the fight scenes, kind of improve the movie overall and then present it again to Golan. Um, he agreed it was better, but... I think in quotes, he still thought it was a piece of shit. In quotes? Yeah, it was a piece of shit. Um, The initial plan, like you said, Muggs, was straight to video. So this wasn't even going to hit theaters. Golan was only persuaded to do a theatrical release by someone named Samuel Hadida or Sammy Hadida. He did the film we were talking about earlier, um, No Retreat, No Surrender. So he was the one that actually released that in France. He found out that they weren't going to release it theatrically. And he came to Golan and said, hey, if you're not going to do this, I'll buy the movie and I'll release it theatrically. Like, I like John claude I think he's a great actor. He worked with me really well. That's how much I believe in this guy. I'm going to take this movie and I'm going to release it. So because that happened, now... He was forced to release Now they're it, rethinking yeah. and they're like, oh, shit. Uh, maybe, and they start second-guessing themselves. I don't know how important this person is. I didn't do a lot of research on him, but supposedly, I mean, he had enough impact to make them rethink. So like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to release it in three states across the West Coast. We're going to do California, Oregon, Washington. What I read, it sounds a little different than your financials mugs, but that it made its budget back in the first weekend. But even after that, it, it did go on to be nationally released and then globally, but... Even after all that success, and everyone's stoked, and everyone's happy with it, Golan was still convinced that John claude is not a good actor. Yeah. So, like, even even after the success of the movie, all that other stuff, he's still like he's not a good actor. They made all their money back. They he's proven somewhat he's an actor and to then, some degree. And then patience beyond belief. I mean, imagine shooting this thing, going to Hong Kong. Yeah. Like Mother was talking about too, like. At the time, I think John Claude's like 27 years old. He's like driving limos, delivering pizzas, like... Whatever he can to make a living. He tells a story on Collider where he's like, I would sleep with a girl, and then when she was showering, I would use her phone Phone. to call my parents. Oh, wow. He's like, I didn't have anything. So that's why he was like balls out. Like, I believe the whole milk and cookies thing, even though it sounds kind of weird, but I'm like, he... Well, first of all, he said it. But it's just like, he's that desperate to do this. And it's like, then talk about the patience. Like, you go through this, we'll touch on it a little bit, but like Frank Dukes thought that John claude was just not ready to shoot this movie. Dang. Yeah, so the, the three-month train they did before was like the most intense shit, right, Muggs? Yeah, he, he basically said that it was the most, not the most intense, but one of the hardest things he's ever had to go through. Yeah. The training the three months prior to the movie. And, he, and this is this is Frank Dukes training him? Yes. Yeah. Specifically? So yes. Frank Dukes was the only part he really started on this movie, except for providing the story, was being a fight coordinator. So, but part of it was training John claude to wow. get into some kind of shape that he wanted him. I mean, there's a quote by Frank Dukes. He says that um, John claude in quotes, he was very stiff. He had a karate background, but I mean, he couldn't do a forward roll. And when I, when I first got him, he freaking landed on his head in front of all my students. He said, are you kidding me? I mean, 
He couldn't do a throw. You tried to get him to do a judo throw, and you couldn't throw anybody. He was good at boxing. He was good at stiff karate moves, but that was it. Wait, so you're telling me he couldn't do any of that stuff, but you said his resume was presented by him doing the splits to get into the movie. And that's what I'm saying. Like, so this, How this stiff is, are you if you can do the splits as a grown man? And this is Frank Duke saying this, so right. it's like... It's bullshit. There's no credibility. I'm not saying he's lying, but I'm just saying that it's hard to, to take this at his word. I don't gotcha. Know. I will say this, though, like... I don't, I mean, if you ever like watch karate, it is pretty like stiff, very like single handed strike type stuff. So like maybe, maybe it's his training because I know other martial arts like do rely a lot more on agility, on throws, on being able to fall properly. And maybe, you know, I'm not a karate practitioner, but like maybe karate, you know, just isn't that type of martial art that teaches you those things. And I, I could see where Frank Dukes is coming from, from that perspective. Cause like, you know, boxing, lots of footwork, Taekwondo, lots of kicking, you know, karate, lots of like, you know, succinct strikes, kickboxing and Muay Thai, you know, also a lot of dancing around and, you know, using eight limbs and all that other shit. Like, I think he, he might be overstating it a little bit, but I, I, I could believe that Jean-Claude Van Damme, through his own training, was like hella stiff because of what he learned specifically. I agree, and I, this is way off topic, but like I was watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, and they had that Bruce Lee part where he's talking about like Cassius Clay and all these boxers. He's like, I really value that because they're really going after each other. He's like, in my sport and like in martial arts, it's all like this point system, and it's just getting the points. So you're not really making all this contact. It's just like, like you kind of said, like these stiff moves. You're not really fighting. It's the yeah. succinct strikes, like yeah. Kerwin said. Is yeah. You're, you're trying to gain points rather yeah. than take someone out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I kind of get where he's saying that, but again, it's Frank Duke saying this, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You take it I, at face value. Yeah. I, I Yeah, exactly. So... I was going to talk about the soundtrack a little bit and some fun facts. Muggs, do you have anything else? For I mean, I, I just want to give credit to Van Damme for the editing on that because I don't, I mean, if he came in to help that out and he has over time, like he directed the quest. So he has a couple like things that, so maybe this guy's a genius in some sort of way, you know, but I mean, I, I would I, love to see the original. I would like though. to see the original. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Because I, I think what you're saying is like he probably was up in the air and then they did stupid cuts that you just couldn't follow. I think it does show in the very last fight. I think the continuity of it. You're like, wait, he wasn't just there how, like that. Remember that right. kick where he goes above his shoulder? And yes. He, like, how did that even start? You know, and I feel like they're just like, hey, it's what we got, man. This yeah. is what we got. It's like Matrix style yeah. move, maneuvers before. But, uh, you know. Yeah, no, I know. I, and I'm glad they did what they did, you know, but. Yeah, I just. It's 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 surprising that this movie is real. Like it's it's based on something that never happened. happened. So you, are we all convinced oh, wait, wait, wait. that it didn't happen? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's based on events. How true those events are. Yeah. They're based on someone's events. Someone's events. But let's get into the best part. If you have stuff on the soundtrack, that is the best, right? The soundtrack is amazing. So I pulled this off Wikipedia. It's really interesting. It's weird because like I mean, Fight to Survive is probably the biggest song out of but the, the movie. But the instrumental one that they have too yeah, is that's great. True. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it's, it's weird because the soundtrack contains, like I said, Fight, uh, fight to Survive, uh, On My Own. They're both performed by Stan Bush. That song sucks, though, On My Own. Yeah, okay. so Bush's songs, it's weird. They were replaced with alternate versions uh, by this guy named Paul Delph. So on the movie, it's Stan Bush. But then on the soundtrack, the original soundtrack, it was Paul Delph. And then they also play, the film plays Steal the Night, which is the song that he's running through the, the city on. But it's weird because then in 2007, they re-released uh, the soundtrack, but then put on the original songs. So the movie has the Stan Bush songs, 
the first soundtrack has someone else singing them, and then the re-release soundtrack in 2007 has the original singer. I just feel like this movie all around is just like... A shit show. Piece yeah. together, just yeah. cut, piece, yeah. cut, piece. Done the night before, it's due, right? Yeah. So that's all I have for the movie, um, but I do have some fun facts. So if you guys have anything, please chime in. But one I really wanted to point out was, it's just something really, really funny. Um, in 1993, Frank Dukes attended the Draca Martial Arts Trade Show in L.A. I think it was the second time they had ever had it. And he had a confrontation with a kickboxer known as Zane Frazier. They had a prior relationship. Dukes actually hired him to teach at the two dojos I talked about he had in L.A. But Frazier claimed that he wasn't getting paid, which, I don't know, after Frank Dukes' story that we talked about earlier, I kind of believe that he didn't get paid. So a a fight broke out between them two. And Frazier won. So Dukes lost. But the ironic part was first official loss on his record. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends on record you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, there's multiple. (laughs) So he he lost, but I didn't do research on these guys. But Rory and Gracie and Art Davey, they're part of the UFC. They actually witnessed the fight because they're at this martial arts trade show. And after seeing this fight, they offered and this must have been like the birth of UFC because we're talking 93. So it's a long time ago. But they witnessed the fight and actually offered Frazier to be a competitor in the UFC. Wow. So, but it's funny because Dukes would go on to claim that he got sucker punched with brass knuckles. Oh, but, yeah. but at every, a trade show. But every right. other source contradicted it. Every other source. Because there's tons of people, tons of booths. Right. Everyone else that saw this said, first of all, there's no brass knuckles. Right. You weren't sucker punched. Right. Like you just got knocked the fuck out. Damn. There has to be video at a convention. There has to be. And we're talking 93, though. Mm. No phones. I mean, camcorders? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Another fun fact I got to point out is (laughs) Ray Jackson does not use any kind of recognized martial arts in in any film. No, he just hits people. Yeah. He is brute force. That's all it was. Right. He threw a couple punches and then was like pushing people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything, Muggsy, you wanted to add? Just the ties that this movie has to Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah. Did you read about that? Yeah, go ahead. So I think Mortal Kombat was basically developed off of this movie in general. Like Johnny Cage is supposed to mimic Frank Dukes. I thought Johnny Cage was in the movie. There's a guy that looks like him, the white guy in the first montage. No, I think they were under pressure because I don't know how the whole timeline with Street Fighter like goes about it, but like they wanted something where it was it was weird how they they wanted something of a, a, a tournament style movie. Yeah, all that Mortal stuff. Mortal no. Kombat is based off Enter the Dragon. Is it where they where they all sail to an island and there's yeah. this like deadly? Tournament. I heard, I heard there were some ties to this movie as well, especially Johnny Cage's character. Yeah. Isn't his final movie where he does the splits? It's supposed to mimic. I mean, I I read this on multiple sites that Mortal Kombat took some of this movie and put it into the actual video game. Yeah, the oh. video the video game itself. Because remember, like they tried to get Van Damme for the video game, right? But he had just done Universal Soldier, so he's big time now. And he went on to yeah. like another project, but like Johnny Cage. You know, they, you know, the creators, they say it's not a parody of Van Damme, but like we, it's a parody of Van Damme. Yeah. Like we I mean, know Johnny is. Cage is. Yeah. He even has the same, like his fatality or his special move is literally the move from Bloodsport. The splits right, so. where he punches up, right? Yeah. Uh, just a couple of the little things. Um, the Dim Mac or the Dim Mock. Yeah. Um, it's not real, um, but it is fabled in a lot of Chinese martial arts folklore. So the Dim Mock, so that's the part in the movie with the bricks. 
Oh, um, the breaking the, the bottom the death brick. touch, you know. Where gotcha. He, yeah. So um, I was kind of curious about that because I feel like that's like a big part of the movie, even though it's like kind of short. Um, but I, I love the part where Ray Jackson goes back. <laughs> and he <laughs> like, breaks it on a brick. Face. He's like, <laughs> he breaks it. scratch on it. He just breaks it over his head. I don't know. I love that. But the dim mock, um, it kind of, it's, the description is more like if you've seen Kill Bill 2 at the very end of it. According to, I think this is IMDb, um, the dim mock is an acupressure attack where the attacker quickly strikes his opponent several times at various spots on his body. It can result in broken bones, paralysis, muscle spasms, or even instant death. So I feel like when you see it on Kill Bill 2 where she kind of like touches him in like five different spots and does his thing, like then he just like, after five or ten seconds, he, he Bill just dies. Just falls over? Or yeah, what? he dies. Yeah. Oh, dang. Yeah, so that, I don't know. I, I was kind of hoping it was a real thing, but it's not. Um, so this one, Muggs and I were talking about before we started this. They say that the flashback. So... Oh, when, you mean you mean the ten minute long flashback? Almost eleven minutes. <laughs> I'm, gonna cor- 11 I'm minutes. gonna correct you, Kerwin. It's ten minutes and fifty six seconds yeah. long. According to IMDb, this is the world's longest flashback ever in a film. Is this him on the bus? I read this. No. no, no, no. This is at the very beginning of the movie when he's looking at the sword, and then it's like eleven minutes of him. Oh, gotcha. Stealing gotcha. and all that stuff. Yes. When no. he goes back to his childhood and there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Gotcha. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it's a long flashback. And yeah. It's horrible. But my thing is. I don't know, and this the article that we read this on was published in 2020, right? It was this year when I read the date on it. I think so. But I want to like dispute it, Titanic. The whole movie is a flashback. I know there's segments, but there's got to be a segment longer than 11 minutes. So I don't know how you deem a flashback. I think flashback. it's the way it's used in the so movie. So this one is just for a flashback, whereas Titanic Because Titanic's the whole, the whole movie. movie. Yeah. This but is just literally. I, I don't know if I buy that. Portion. It's the longest flashback in nah, cinema history. What I would say, uh, I, I agree with you, Darren. Like, Titanic, like, it's not really a flashback because the whole plot of the movie centers around what took place in the past yeah. with occasional flash forwards. Yeah. I think it's more of a flash forward than yeah. a flashback. Yeah, Titanic is a story that takes place, you know, back in time. With so, do you flash think forwards. this is the longest flashback in history? Um, I I don't know, and I wouldn't be. Able I haven't to argue seen that. every movie. Yeah, right. I wouldn't be able to argue that. However, it is the longest long, shit. It's, the it's longest. drawn out. You for honestly sure. forget it is, like the movie. Like, oh wait, now we're back on blood. Sport. You forget you where you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is the longest continuous flashback that I have ever seen. Yeah, yeah. You forget you're in a flashback. Yeah, like I <laughs> and you're I, like, wait, I, who's this kid that? doesn't look like Van Damme at all. Because I'm, I'm watching this thing and um, and like you said, like you guys said, like you forget what movie you're in. Correct. Because now you're now you're all caught up in this drama of you know him being a kid, etc. Kid breaking in. Yeah. Tanaka kid. Yeah. Yeah. We can get into this in like Trash and Treasure, but like <laughs> I I would not doubt that this is the longest yeah. continuous flashback. One more fun fact that I wanted to bring up, Jason. I thought we t- I thought you were going to bring it up. There was an issue or a situation with Dukes and Van Damme where they were on a beam, like an 18 inch wide beam, and like 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 Dukes was actually challenging him and actually actually did like a roundhouse kick, like let's go. And there was like where they would fall. I don't. And Van Damme was like, I want no part of this, and walked yeah, away. Yeah, I think Dukes challenged Van Damme to like a fight, and they went on, <laughs> on top of this this 60 story building on the <laughs> okay. roof. And it was on this platform that was only 18 inches wide. Foot and a half for all you. Yeah, foot and a half. <laughs> and so I guess supposedly, again, this is Frank Dukes telling the story, but Dukes did this roundhouse kick on the platform on this 18-inch, like, not very wide, foot and a half. And John claude Van Damme was like, you know what? I'm done. You're good. Like, we yeah. don't need to do this right now and walked away. 
Uh, I mean, this guy's crazy. So Van Dam seems like a pretty reasonable guy. That makes sense. Dukes. But it also no. points more into Dukes' nuttiness. Yeah, he's I think. nuttier and bad shit. Yeah, yeah. nuttier and squirrel shit. It's funny because it's just like this dude that's lived this uh, supposedly crazy illustrious life. You know what I'm saying? He has so much to prove all the time. Yeah, right. He has so much to prove. Short guy in a big truck, man. He's got <laughs> the same mentality. Yeah, overcompensation mobiles. Yeah, yeah. I have two more fun facts. One is, so I don't know how true this is. I'm not going to do the math to try to prove this is correct. But they said that in order to have have won 56 consecutive knockouts in a single elimination tournament, like he describes, <laughs> that you would need 72 quadrillion, 57 billion, 594 million. I, I'm not going to go to it. 72 quadrillion fighters to participate in order to have this. Because the way the single elimination works, that there's You're one no, and done, yeah. There's no way mathematically that it's possible that this story is true whatsoever. It'd be a giant ba- bracket. It's a huge bracket for one fighter to go through, what, 60? 60 rounds? He, uh, he says 56 consecutive okay, knockouts. So, 56, so if he had 56 consecutive knockouts, and let's say he's not counting the entire tournament, that means there have to be more rounds than that, which means any fighter that got as far as he did also had to have 56 rounds, not including any of the fighters that he fought. Yeah, up to the latest, the last one he beat had to have won that many rounds as well. Yeah, there's no way, like you're saying, like that is a huge tournament. If you want to win the March Madness tournament for college basketball, you have to win seven games, and that's 64 teams. And that's one of the biggest tournaments ever. Yeah, like so think of it, if you have... 56 is what it is like it's exponentially just going to get out of control he says that was in one tournament he says in one tournament but i believe on the movie it doesn't say it does say that fact right but it doesn't say single elimination yeah it does Does, at the very end i thought i I just said in in a single tournament not single elimination tournament in a single tournament he had the record for most consecutive knockouts in a single tournament why would you have to have 56 matches maybe there was maybe there's like a round robin a pool i don't don't know i'm just i'm I'm trying to back this up because i love this movie i want it to be true. but i look at it this way like like no sport is going to have you go through that many rounds even prove yourself even with a double elimination bracket you're not going to compete that much no matter well and then you just put it into the context of you have to beat 56 of the world's greatest fighters amongst all the other ones that are in there winning as well. And how There's long no is way. this tournament? Yeah. Like, because you need rest. Do you right. have like in-betweens? Are you, you doing like eat. You need to triple go to the headers? Like, are, how, many, how many calories are you, are you taking <laughs> in? What, what do you say, Jason? I call bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I call, I call bullshit, bullshit too. Yeah. Nicole, you call bullshit? I call bullshit all the way. I mean, he, they depict it in a movie as a three-day tournament, yeah. and it's, I mean, there's no way that this... I don't this even think there was 56 fighters can, in this movie. Can we movie. get Frank Dukes on this podcast? <laughs> I want to, I got some questions. But guys, when he, when he knocks people out in 0.12 seconds, I mean... There you go. It doesn't you know, take a lot of time. It doesn't right? take a lot of time, it's, I There's guess. a reason it's a world record. Yeah. And then my last fact, uh, <laughs> this one's kind of funny. Um, I guess Trump at one point watched this movie on a flight having his son skip through the boring scenes of dialogue and exposition and only want to see the action scenes he lists as one of his favorite movies. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, read that on, I read that on multiple sites. Yeah, IMDb. Trump's favorite movie when you take out all the boring scenes. Yeah, he had his son, I don't know which son, but skip through the boring scenes of dialogue and exposition only to watch the action scenes. It's got to be the newest son. So that's all I have for... The movie. Bloodsport, yeah. 
Let's get into our experience. Mugga, tell us your experience with Bloodsport. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to do this without laughing, and hopefully you guys don't laugh at me. Um, this was a movie that came out when I was in elementary school, and obviously by the time I was in fifth or sixth grade, it was actually on TV. I was never allowed to watch it. We would just see it accidentally, and my mom would then catch us. We couldn't watch it. I don't think I ever saw the beginning of the film until I could like get to college and actually bought it myself or whatever it was. I, I had to bring up this experience. I knew this movie so well, though. I would watch it with my brother all the time, and it was like a classic for us. And we were, do you see it? It was on last night. It was this and Lionheart. Like we were just, it was so violent. We were never allowed to watch it. My buddy and I, Jason Chan, in fifth grade, we're in a play called The Velveteen Rabbit, and our scenes was, yeah, no, no, I'm telling you, we weren't very high profile, and so we would take the props, like teddy bears, and actually mimic the semifinals of Chong Lee's fight scene on the actual bears, like we knew it that well. That's really, I remember wow. this movie so much where I could like mimic actual fights, and it was great, and we would like do the whole, like where he hits him in the head, clinches the fist, and does the whole fake, like, like I mean, it was, it was great. Um, but I don't think I actually fully watched the movie until I could actually buy it because that's back when you couldn't download anything or you could. So I never saw the beginning and watching the beginning still now is like new to me where they're all training for the fight, you know. But yeah, um, I couldn't tell you when I first watched it. I just remember in like fifth or sixth grade era. That's when I saw it on TV. And when I was caught, I had to turn it off because I was not allowed to watch this movie in the back bedroom with the TV on, you know, when your parents, you only had two TVs in a house, you know, but yeah, but that, I mean, that's as best as I can remember an experience of, of for myself. All right, Darren, what's your experience with Bloodsport? It's kind of parallels Mugga's experience. You were in the Velveteen Rabbit? Or? <laughs> definitely not with the rabbit, <laughs> but kind of the same experience, depending on what day you ask me. It feels like a movie I would have first seen with my dad. You know, I was five years old when this movie came out, so it definitely wasn't then. Um, maybe a few years later, early elementary, third, fourth grade. I don't think I first saw it with my dad. I think I saw it on TV when it came out on TV. My best friend at the time, we would always sneak movies late at night. Parents, His parents would go to bed. And we'd turn on HBO, Cinemax, something like that. Dude, Darren, have you seen Bloodsport? It's so gnarly. There's blood. And this There's is people beating each other. It's before UFC. So a fight like this, before, you would never see. It was only yeah. boxing. So you have these guys from around the world, you know, people breaking bones, people dying. You know, the ultimate, you know, second grade, third grade guy film. Like, you're just like, oh, shit. You know, guys beating the shit out of each other. Hopefully our parents don't walk in on us watching it. And I, I that's what I remember. And that's the nostalgia I have with this movie is like, dude, this was the ultimate like third, fourth grade, badass dude film. Yeah. People dying, blood everywhere, ninja, warrior type stuff. And, that's why they call it blood. You know, and, and I feel like at some point I watched it with my dad on VHS. Yeah. VHS, I know a lot of you listening won't know what that is, but <laughs> look it up and you'll 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 have some respect. So uh, that's kind of my experience with it. All right. Nicole, what's your experience with this movie? Well, um, I'm in the minority, I think, in this group because <laughs> I was two when this movie came out. And honestly, I don't think I actually saw it. Maybe like on TV, like tail end, but I couldn't even be certain. So I'm going to say this was my very first time watching Bloodsport. Which was what, yesterday? Which yesterday. was yesterday. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank You're you, welcome. Netflix, and thank you, Darren. Um, not my first choice for, you know, a movie on Saturday night, but great amount of montages. I mean, the movie was all montages. 
And also, um, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the first thing I noticed was the amount of makeup that they put on Jean-Claude Van Damme. So, I don't know. I liked it. I thought the fight sequences were were cool. I mean, there were some editing issues with certain sequences. Um, but, I mean, I'm not watching Bloodsport for the acting. And, <laughs> you know, I'm watching it for, you know, the fight sequences. What about the physiques? Well, obviously that. So that's gonna be in your treasure. Yeah, that's in my treasure for sure. So (laughs) I mean, I had a. I wouldn't say it was the worst movie I've seen, but it was definitely like not the best. (laughs) Okay, Jason, what's your experience with this movie? Again, I I think I watched this with my dad on TV. Probably shoot, I must have been. It must have been like late 90s, early 2000s. I, I can't remember the exact time, but one story I have about this is that I was working um, at Radio Shack at the time and uh, my coworker, uh, he, we had this debate, like he walked in one time, I was telling him, I was like, dude, like Bloodsport was on TV last night. I was watching, I was like, I just love that movie. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I did, but what do they say in that song? And I was like, well, what song are you talking about where they're singing, you know, Kumite? And they're saying that over and over. He's like, it sounds like they're saying who, hey. Like he was convinced. What? He was like convinced. So again, I'm working for Radio Shack, but it was like a, a cell phone kiosk inside of Target. So I'm like, not a Target employee. I remember those days, Jason. That was a while ago. It was a while ago, yeah. So <laughs> it's like, like, I'm not clocking with Target or nothing. I'm just, you know, working for Radio Shack. Anyway, we're doing our thing and like we're setting everything up for the day. And like he comes in, it's like a Saturday, so it's like busy. And he's like, dude, they they fucking say who hey over and over. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now, they don't. They say Kumite. They say Kumite. Like, doesn't it sound kind of like that? Couldn't you believe that that's what they're saying? He's like, no, nah, I think you're wrong. And I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm pulling this up on my phone right now. <laughs> so we're standing there. And again, it's just a little kiosk. So we're like very vulnerable. Two person booth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're right next to electronics in the back of Target. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to fucking prove you wrong right now. I'm going to get this over with and move on with our day. So I pull it off my phone and I pull up the, the, the scene and it's like kind of building up to that chorus part. And as that's happening, my, my, my boss walks up. So he like goes to all these kiosks. Like he just drives around and like kind of visits people unannounced. And so he walks up behind me. You got caught watching the Kumite. I got wa- I got caught watching this on my phone. <laughs> and chanting it? Were you chanting it? I wasn't chanting it, but I was like, hey, why don't you look at this? So we're both looking at it. We're both not really doing anything. We're just watching this phone. He walks up and says, hey, what are you guys doing? And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I'm going to fucking own this. So I was like, well, Juan thought, and this, <laughs> I sold him out. I was like, Juan thought, he said, who, hey? And I was like, Juan, you're wrong. And I'm going to prove you wrong right now. So I decided to pull it off my phone. He's like, is that the best use of our time? I was like, I don't know, but I couldn't move on with the day unless I showed him that he was incorrect. So I showed him the kumites, and then we had to take a walk. I think I got reprimanded for that, but I just that'll always stick out in my head. Blood in, blood out, baby. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, if I was your boss, I would have been like, yeah, that's that's reasonable. Like, I, I was hoping your boss would be like, dude, Juan, it's fucking kumite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, your like, your boss you sounds like Frank Dukes, man. Kumite. He sounds like a dig. Oh, uh, he was. <laughs> A complete fucking asshole. Yeah. But if you're listening today, boss, you're yeah, a dick. Yeah, fuck you. Seriously. Yeah, because um, like that that happens sometimes. And like you said, when you own it and you just tell your boss why you're wasting time, they, the respect honesty. They'll, they'll understand. Yeah. yeah, I was just straight up. I like looked at him. I like panicked for like half a second, but I was like, you know what? Fuck I'm busted. This. I'm gonna tell him. We're not sitting here watching a movie. I was like, I'm just showing him a part of this just to prove him wrong. We'll go back to work. Like, yeah, we're right here. We're not sitting in like the break room or right. whatever. Like we're just standing here. Like. Give me a second, boss. Yeah. I'm proving one wrong. Yeah. And 
Yeah, he wasn't about it though. Fuck you, Juan. Also, <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's uh, that's my experience with the movie. Nice. <laughs> uh, my experience. I remember seeing this movie in like bits and pieces as a kid. I'd seen it a couple times in college. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Muggs hit us up in the group chat and told us we should do Bloodsport this week. And uh, so I watched it maybe like three, four days ago. And then right before this podcast, uh, you guys had it playing. So we watched the end of it, maybe the last like 10, 15 minutes of it. But uh, yeah, that's just my experience with uh, Bloodsport. Yeah. That's Sweet. it? Yeah. Wow. Nothing memorable. I feel like, wow. this, no I feel like well, this movie, though. No one watched its entirety at the very beginning other than you, Nicole, because we all had bits. Because that's when you, yeah. it was on TV all the time. That's when it was just like, it was a movie that you liked. You're right. You never really like play. Yeah. Okay. And it was like, oh shit, Bloodsport's on. Let's catch the right. end of it. You know? Like, and, and that's how I was kind of talking to Nicole yeah. last night when we went to watch it. I was like, oh, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. And then we watched it. I'm like, that's not what happened. <laughs> I remembered it totally different. Yeah. Like and, I, I vividly remember like the last fight. Like I know about the last fight, but like I, right. I honestly couldn't, I, I didn't watch it completely until I was in college. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, I, I was like homeboy Jackson dies. And Frank Dukes is out to get, like, revenge. That's not the plot of the movie. No, no. But that's what I remember as a kid, and you know? No, I, I mean, I remember watching it on TV first, too, and then I didn't see it in its entirety until I think, like, I bought it or my dad bought it on DVD or Blu-ray. Like, I had never seen the beginning for, like, years. Yeah, yeah. me neither. I knew the whole yeah. of them all training. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, I'd seen that, like, part of it one time, but I'd never seen the whole opening, like, for a long time. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. All right, let's get a trash and treasure. This be let's fun. do it. Uh, Mugga, start us off with your trash and treasure. Oh, man. I have a, I have a lot of trash. I got lots of bullet <laughs> points, too, bro. I'm going to withhold a lot of my trash because I feel like <laughs> a lot of you will have the same thing. I don't want to, like, Yeah, I think we're all going to cross over. So I'm going to start off. I have to. The flashback in general, I think it's way too long. It's done horribly. And I think that the way they made Frank Dukes as a kid, that guy, I don't know how he ever got a job. Like, how did he ever get a job? Kerwin will probably agree with me on this. His jersey that he's wearing when he breaks in makes no sense. He's wearing a Giants, Giants jersey. Hat and a Giants Well, he's jersey. wearing a Giants. Let's get to the jersey first. Okay. He's wearing a Giants jersey. I've never seen a jersey like this. It's the number 65, but on one arm is the six, and the other arm is the five. I've never seen a jersey like this. Mm. Yeah, it's usually Go back the whole and look number at, on yeah. both sleeves. So he has a New York Giants jersey, and he's wearing a San Francisco Giants hat. Continuity right. of sports team makes no fucking makes sense. Makes no sense. Wait, I told Nicole so, that last night. Yeah. So you're saying that's a giant mistake it's on her part? <laughs> what a giant um, blunder. I'm going to briefly say the on my own montage is fucking horrible where he's reminiscing about Jackson when he's only known him for 24 hours and the girl he just fell in love with that I mean but it's is, conveying so much emotion there it is you know um, the chase scene Jason will get more into it I think that was awful I have to bring up the two quotes you know I I don't like that they put blood sport in the movie you know, that's why they call it blood sport kid and it's just like there it is you know yeah. right come on man and the okay USA I don't like that at all <laughs> like I don't and I think I think that Van Damme's acting in general is not good, and I hate his overemphasis on the ah. Uh, you know, he just drags it out. Like, and there's other ones that I have. You guys will definitely hit on it. The hotel scene, all that stuff. I do want to get into my treasures, though. I love Ray Jackson's character. I think he's hilarious. He brings some sort of comedy to the movie. Like, you you root for him, and when he goes down, you're like, damn, that you know, like whatever. Um, the first fighting montage scene, the fight to survive, I think it's great. I think it's great. Like I'm trying to buy the movie on iTunes and you can't buy it. I can't find it. I'll, buy I'll the song. Out. You can't buy the song. Yeah. Yeah, you can't buy the song. 
I don't know if you guys noticed when he meets Ray for the first time, they're playing a video game called Karate Champ. I loved that game. I love that game. I, I, I used to play that all the time. You guys might disagree with me on this. I love the way the movie developed Chong Lee's character. He has three lines. I think he has less lines in this movie than Arnold Schwarzenegger did in The Terminator. But yet you are just meant to hate him. His mannerisms, the way he walks, the way he smiles. He's like the second most important character in the movie. I, 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 I love how you. they did that. Like yeah. You hate him, but he never talks. He never did anything. He never talks, dude. Um, Jason's going to give me shit for this. Van Damme's physique, man. I mean, the guy was in shape, dude. <laughs> you know? he, he was in shape. He yeah. was in shape. The scene, I and I was trying to look it up, where he's hitting him with the bamboo and all that. He actually did that stunt where he was being stretched he's out. Stretched. I, I, he was in shape, and I think he went all in on this movie, like physically, you know. And and I I have to give him credit to that. And but I'm gonna go back. I, I love the soundtrack for the fight montage, but. There's other stuff that I have, but I don't want to like take it away because I know we'll have the same stuff. So though those are my trash and treasures. All right, Darren, what's your trash and treasure? Mugga hit a lot of them, man. Kind of the same things, very general trash and treasures. I'll start with the trash. Trash you know, is the ultimate cliche 1980s. Martial artist becomes crappy actor movie. You know, you're talking about Frank Dukes as this real guy who was a martial artist. Why wasn't he the actor if he was so good? Like Van Damme's a real martial artist. He became this actor, you know. The acting, come on, like, it's so forced. Like, you can see them literally thinking about what they're supposed to say while they're saying it, while the other actor looking at them is waiting for their turn to talk. Like, it's so bad, man. It is bad. Like, it's so bad. Mugga hit on it, the young Frank Dukes. That guy had a speech impediment, looked nothing <laughs> like Frank Dukes. Like, he was wearing two different giant You're not going teams. to cut the cups. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, I wasn't going to steal your sword. Like, But I mean, John Claude Van Damme doesn't speak very well either, so no. I feel like it kind of... So, like, yeah, were they hitting on, like, Van Damme's accent? Were that, they trying to play into that? That's how I reason I, in my head with it. I had to pause the movie last night and say, Nicole, I can't take this kid serious. Like, he's not an actor. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna front, like, when I did watch it this week, I was like, if they make this motherfucker speak perfect American English, I'm gonna lose my shit. <laughs> and, and as terrible as that little boy was, as terrible as his voice sounded and the dub was, I'm actually glad they didn't give him... An American accent. Right. So that's kind of the trash, too, is how many dubs were done in this movie? Oh like, that's, my God. I didn't want to say that. Jason's like, like the dubbing. I, every I Asian actor in there was dubbed, I felt. You know, that kid was dubbed. You are next. <laughs> yeah, you are next. Dude, even, so, even in the beginning, when they show him in the military and at that place, like the commanding officer comes up and talks to the guy that Jean Claude Van Damme fled from. He walks and says, Well, I lost him in the showers. Even that guy, the commanding officer is talking to him, is dubbed. Like, right. It's all dubbed. So he's facing the, away from the camera. It's just, it's so, so bad. So you can't even have bad acting because they're not allowing them to be bad <laughs> actors. I will say this though, like you're, if you're saying that uh, a lot of this script was rewritten while they were filming, yeah. like that might have something to do with it too. I ain't making excuses, but I could see that as one of the reasons. So that's one of my trashes too. Is the script is horrible. So maybe that's why they went back and there's stuff they could have cut out. Yeah, you know, trying to fix it. You know, they said that Van Damme hated the movie. All these people hated it. They tried to fix it. Whatever. That's part of the trash. Some of the more technical stuff, the foley, the sound effects. You literally hear like punches thrown. It's like that was a piece of lettuce. That was a <laughs> that was a cucumber crack. That was a you know whatever. <laughs> so horrible, dude. The the editing, the cuts are choppy. 
Yeah. Mug even brought it up. Van Dam was pissed that he's flying through the sky doing a flag kick or whatever, and then all of a sudden he's back, like reverting backwards, then doing it again five times in a row. Like yep. there's no continuity. I mean, I could go on and on with the trashes, but with the trash, there's treasure. And the first treasure is there's so much trash. <laughs> That's what makes it so good. Like, it's that nostalgic 1980s, like, dude, this movie's so badass. And then you're like, it really isn't good. But you remember it being so badass. So that's kind of a treasure in and of itself. You know, it's like, Van Damme it. God, you know, <laughs> what the hell, dude? But he is like that cliche Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal. He's the worst of the worst. Van Damme is the worst of the worst, I would think. There's argument to say Steven Seagal is probably yeah. the worst, but yeah. Van Damme's up there. My other treasures, the opening montage is badass. You got guys from around the world training for this tournament. Yeah. You're like, dude, get the popcorn ready. Yeah. Something badass is going to happen. It's got that like, music, too, going on. The music right, is yeah. dope. That, and that's a treasure in itself. The music is great. I like and, and you can't take that away. Ray Jackson, I saw him, and the first thing I said to Nicole is, dude, the guy from Revenge, Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, like, Ogre, yeah. Ogre. Yeah. You know, I thought his name was Booger. That's the other guy. But yeah, that's the other guy. Yeah, Ogre, yeah, so... The chick in the movie, nothing against chicks, but she could have, you know, it could have been any chick. She, her, her part was, I guess that's more of a trash than a treasure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but her haircut is a treasure. The 80s perm. The <laughs> 80s perm. If all you see is her, you know you're in an 80s film <laughs> for sure. So that's a treasure. My last treasure I have written down here is all the Asian guys remind me of Short Round, dude. The guy with the freaking uh, mullet. You, oh, you think yeah. of Indiana Jones immediately. Yeah. And it's, um, then you start thinking, like, did every cool 80s movie have a short round? <laughs> and, like, I don't know. Maybe. Well, I think I think that's, like, a, a movie trope for sure. Like, having, like, an Asian sidekick. That was definitely, like, a movie trope going around at that time. Maybe that was the thing. Maybe yeah. that was the end thing. Then. Like, look at, like, Green Hornet. Like you said, Indiana Jones. Like, right. you know, every, everybody had, like, yeah, I mean, when you look at the He doc- was also in Goonies. There was this, you know, same guy. Yeah, like, uh, I believe in the, the Doctor Strange comics, like, okay. Doctor Strange's sidekick, Wong, was, like, his, you know, quote, Asian, Asian sidekick. Dude. So, yeah, it's, it's that whole fanaticism with uh, Orientalism. Okay. Yeah, like, there's that whole, like, fanaticism with, with the East, like, the Far East. And I think that was just a. That was a storytelling trope that okay. carried on into movies, especially during like the the martial arts era as well. Got it. Yeah, yeah. and I and that makes sense in martial arts. You take it to the far east, you know. Um, yeah, my those are my treasures, man. I, it, mostly nostalgia, you know, just kind of badass nineteen eighties fight movie. You can't fight that. Ooh, <laughs> I love it. There you go. All right, Nicole, uh, what is your trash and treasure with this movie? My trash with the movie is pretty much the script. Um, oh, okay. Not you the know, entire movie. Not the entire movie, actually. <laughs> uh, there's parts of the script that I think just didn't need to be added into the movie. Mm. And mainly it's kind of, you know, the Forrest Whitaker character yeah. and the reporter. Because, like we said, if they weren't there, like, the, the fight movie sequ- still goes on. The still, movie still goes on and they don't add anything to the movie because the movie itself is, you know, you want to see it for the action scenes, the fight sequences and everything. But I mean, it's an 80s Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Like, you have to expect that you're gonna get all of these little missteps here and there. Oh yeah. Um, and you're not, like I said earlier, you're not really watching the movie for the acting, you're watching it for other things. So another trash would be um, the makeup 
So I don't know if yeah, you I wouldn't even noticed. notice that. Yeah. I did. Maybe it's like a, a girl thing. I don't know. But it was bruises that were actually um, straight up purple eyeshadow. <laughs> like I've never seen, I've never had a bruise. I don't know if you guys, you guys have been punching the face. Like it's not just straight bright purple bruise. So that was the one thing that did like stick out towards the end when they were like showing his black eyes. It's funny, Elizabeth and I, like, I think she caught the tail end of it and she saw that and she's like, uh, I'm just going to say one thing. Like, the makeup is awful. Yes. <laughs> so that was it like looks- the first thing Nicole said the whole movie is like, wait a minute, I got to stop here. I know we're at the end of the movie, but the makeup is horrible. Well, the makeup was horrible and it's like, okay, so this is what Jean-Claude Van Damme's breakout role, correct? Right. Yeah. So he's young, obviously, in this movie why they whoever the director whoever decided that he needed like a pound of makeup on his face i'm not really sure who decided that was whose idea that was because i think he could have done without it yeah but um my treasure for this movie the montages oh wait the music and and I should have named this first, but Jean-Claude Van Damme's physique. See, I got all tongue-tied just thinking about it right there. Um, Yeah, I mean, you can't deny the guy was, like, in really good shape. And I know, Muggy, you said that he was in better shape for... Street Fighter? Street Fighter, yeah. We talked about it before. He, yeah. He's ripped in Street Fighter, but, but I mean, this movie, this yeah. movie you yeah. can't deny him. You can't deny him. Either. You can't deny the talent of, like... What it takes to, you know, oh, what you put your splits, body right? through. I yeah. would throw my back out trying to do one of his roundhouses. Oh, yeah. Nicole, when Nicole was like seeing him tied up and doing the splits, she's like, he oh, really did God. that. Yeah, yeah, he really That's did real. that. That's real. So, yeah. you know, if if you're not watching it for the acting, which you're not, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you got to give respect to where credit where credit's due. And it's definitely like his skill. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't do it. Like Muggy said, I would like hurt myself. I'd be like in a wheelchair trying to do that stuff so <laughs> but yeah that's blood sport for me but i'm definitely signing up to see what is it blood sport 2 that was it called the next kumite i think it's called the next kumite the yeah next kumite. i mean or kickboxer street fighter one of the yeah, other ones sign me up i'll watch another one all right well i know what we're doing tonight i think boys. the f- the fourth one's called like the dark side of the kumite i'm excited <laughs> to see that one you got fucking oh emperor palpatine comes back <laughs> yeah exactly that's what i was thinking of too all right jay what's your trash and treasure all right i don't have a lot but i'll go over what i have you guys kind of talked about a lot of them um so the dubbing it just gets you from the start. It's just, like I said, even from the commanding officer on the military base, it's just, it's shit, man. And then, it's so young, obvious, yeah. yeah, and then young Frank Dukes, it's just like, come on, man, like, fuck. <laughs> like, it's so bad. I mean, and then it's like, you start seeing all over the place. And it's like, is every fucking line dubbed in this? Like, I mean, right. then, like, it's weird, because then you start, like, catching lines that aren't. You're like, oh, shit, that's actually said. At least a quarter of the movie's dubbed. I feel like that. Maybe I'm highballing it. But I it's like, not agree. It's, it's awful. Um, the trash, uh, the high-waisted pants, especially that John claude Van Damme wears, is just really awkward. I'm like, man, those are like above the belly button. Like, I actually really liked those pants. Really? I mean, it's kind of like his signature look, I guess. I think it's like right under his tits. Like, that's where the <laughs> pants lie. It's really bad. Um, I just think it's funny. Like, okay, so they show young Frank Dukes and the kid, uh, Tanaka's kid. Um, and Tanaka's kid's getting, getting up after he gets his ass beat. As soon as he gets up, he's like, I'm going to fight in the Kumite to make my dad proud. And I'm like, you just got your ass beat. At a playground Weird. fight. Yeah. <laughs> Weird timing. Weird timing. Um... When Frank walks in to talk to Tanaka Shidoshi, um, he's laying in this room on his back, 
face in the ceiling, eyes wide open, dead silence. I don't know why that's weird to me, but it seems really like psychotic. Like you're just laying there, arms to your side. Non-natural, yeah. Like covered up, eyes open, just staring at the ceiling in dead silence with no one in the room. He just walks in there. I don't know. I just thought it was really weird. The chase through the city. Oh, the, horrible. You're the, right. the music, it's just, again, that's something else that does not need to be in the movie. And then I didn't like the montage on the bus, too. Like, I just felt like, you barely know this guy, man. Like, what are we doing? Like, Well, then he's up on that thing, and he has the whole, like, the panoramic view of the city, and it goes to his face, like, looking out of nowhere. You're like, come on, man. Yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, I don't hate I, hate, I don't like that whole scene. It's just weird. So that's my trash, and I kind of limited it. I could go on probably for days, but my treasure is the score outside of the song during the the chase scene. But like everything else, I think is good. I don't know why. I like the whole opening too, like you were talking about, Darren. Yeah. Like the whole thing kind of sets you up. Chong Lee like breaking the ice. I'm just You're like, right. yeah. dude, this is fucking. This is badass. Yeah, here dude. comes a party, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you guys already said Ray Jackson. I don't know why. He's just like he doesn't give a fuck. He walks up there and it's like everyone's taking like a fighting stance. He just stands there like arms to the side and he's just like. Well, I thought you bring up the way he hits on that girl yeah. <laughs> at the very beginning oh, where he puts his dirty ass sneakers yeah. that like Kevin from the office would wear, you know, right. just over the seat with that beer and just too cute for you, huh, babe? Like, Jay, would you not agree that he is like the most natural actor? Like yeah. he's being He like has himself. the best talent. Yeah. He's not trying. Yeah. And I, he comes off as one of the best characters. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when Forrest Whitaker says like, hey, you need to calm down, pal, he's like, I'm not your pal, dickhead. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck, that's awesome. Well, he was the only actor, I think, in the movie, too, that didn't take unnecessary pauses before a line. Like, if you notice that there was some of those awkward pauses and then they would continue. Like, his was just kind of like a natural flow. Yeah, it just came out. Yeah. He's probably one of the few that were were English as his first language, though, too. So, I mean, that's that's probably why. But So, I mean, definitely a treasure. Uh, The early training with Frank, I, I don't know why, but, like, when he was not a kid... But like still with Tanaka in the, in the flashback. Yeah, I, I liked those training scenes. I thought they were interesting, like them, you know, stretching him apart, grabbing the fish, doing all that kind of stuff. You know, all the bamboo stuff. Like, although it's weird and kind of sadistic, it's uh, as entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. Mr. Lin, I mean, I don't know why you guys didn't say that he wasn't a treasure. No, no he's cool. I, I love Mr. Lin. Yeah, he's cool. <laughs> Mr. Lin is Mr. Dope. Lin. He's, he's the, the guy that. He's the promoter. They're going to be here. Just relax. Oh, oh short round. Yeah, he's, yeah, their, he's yeah. their manager. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's great. No, he just, you guys are driving me crazy. <laughs> Where the fuck you been? <laughs> oh, I'm the, I'm the guy to take care of the U.S. guys. Or he yeah. does a dim man. He's like, is that fucking good enough for you? And it's like, yeah. I just love him. I think he's awesome. It's only three yeah. ways you can win. One. <laughs> he just lays it down, dude. One. You knock him out. <laughs> Jackson. You look like a Jackson. And it's like, I just, I don't know. I love him, man. Every line's gold. It's fucking awesome. He's good. He's yeah. good. Um, I, I don't know why. There's a couple lines that just, just stick out in my head. One is like, when Frank Dukes is like talking to um, Tanaka and he's like saying like, oh, I want to fight in the Kumite. Like, I want to, you know, follow through and like honor you. And he's just like, you need to keep an open mind. Like the way he says it, it's just so passionate. I'm just like, fuck, relax. And then the other time is um, when I think it's, it's Chong. Are treasures right now? Yeah. Oh. No, but it's like, I like it, but it's like. It's overactive. It's overactive, but I like it. It's just weird. I don't know. It's like, I go back and forth. With it. But the other one is where, um, I think it's it's uh, Hussein. Like after they do the, the coin, coin grab, yeah. which Frank Duke says is a real thing, that he really can do this. Again. Probably false. Frank Dukes? Yeah, yeah, he says he can really do that. 
Yeah. But um, now when uh, Hussein, they get into the Kumite fight and they're fighting and he's like, now I show you trick or two. I don't know why, but I think I said that to my sister a lot when we were younger. <laughs> I don't know why. She probably never knew what I was talking about, but I just always said that. And then my last treasure is all Frank screams. I know you they're like ridiculous. I, it's entertaining. <laughs> it's entertaining. All of his what? The screams. I like when he like doesn't move. <laughs> and it just like... It just carries on like uncomfortably long, but yeah. I don't know why. But I was like, it's kind of funny. I, I, it's his I, best acting in the whole I movie. I laugh at it. I'm like, what is coming? <laughs> oh, oh I, I don't know. It's a head scratcher, but it's also uh, like it's kind of funny. It's drama. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> that's my trash and treasure. So before right. Kerwin, we jump into your final legendary trash and treasure. I uh, just remembered the outfits in this movie. Frank Dukes, man, he's got. His oversized, you know, I'm going to homecoming in my dad's button-up shirts. Every scene, dude. It, unless he's fighting, he's wearing an oversized button-up shirt. And I just am like, oh, my God. Did you, like, did you dig that yellow gold jacket? The yellow that, gold jacket. <laughs> yeah. There's no way guys dressed like this in the 80s. Or did they? They did. Was that the style? Yeah. That was the style. I think, my was, God. I think that was the style. I have pictures of me wearing oversized shirts, and I'm like deathly like ill that I wore something like that. Was it in the 80s? No, it was like a few years ago. Like, <laughs> it was like, yesterday. Like it's, hey, guys, it's called a tailor. Come on. But he's like, I mean, I guess it's his first movie, but... Yeah. Well, Jesus. his first like major movie, yeah. So, and another thing, Frank Dukes, the real guy, says he won 56 bouts, you know, by knockout in one tournament. Floyd Mayweather has won 50 bouts in his entire life, and half of those are probably not by knockout. This guy's full of shit. Yeah, no, <laughs> There's I, no way he won that many bouts in one tournament. The amount of people you would need. Like, who did a, he fight? A kindergarten class? Like, <laughs> like who did he knock out? But, There's 30. Yeah, but it would be like an obscene amount of people you would need in a single elimination tournament to win 56 consecutive knockouts. Right. Against world-class athletes. It's not possible. And he even says it's a 60-round tournament, and it's like... Man, these numbers just don't add up whatsoever. So it, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but so that's. I, I just started doing the math on that, and Frank Dukes is a lying piece of shit. Yeah, Frank Dukes needs to write another book. That says not making sense. Yeah, he's, he's he's as truthful as Van Damme's a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all I gotta say. <laughs> Kerwin, bring it, baby. All right, here we go. So let me <laughs> let me start off. Fuck it, I'm gonna just get into it. It looks trash. like you took notes on the movie, but it's just your trash and treasure. I'm like frightened right now. Yeah. All right. So my trash, real quick. Well, not even real quick. My trash. <laughs> okay. So when the hell did Shingo's dad, uh, Senzo, pick up the sword? Right. So Jean Claude Van Damme breaks in. Shingo kicks him to the ground. Yep. Senzo sends his kid off. You know, I'll I'll deal with this guy. Right. Jean Claude Van Damme. Uh, Senzo helps him up and he's like oh you know I want the he's like I want the katana and then Senzo says you know the katana is a special sword and then all of a sudden the glare from the sunlight is hitting him in the face and then we get another shot of him with the sword holding in his the hand. sword when the fuck did Senzo pick it up because <laughs> so, you're right the sword was on the mount because the, the sword is like it was on the stand it's like three feet away from Jean-Claude Van Damme from Frank from Frank Dukes correct uh, in, the li- in the living room the the scabbard is right next to Frank Dukes in the living room, Holy but like shit. Senzo never bends over. And to Senzo pick up the sword. also comes in from the opposite side. Oh yeah, when he they, never would have passed by it to grab yeah, it. Yeah, so like he he's he's further from the sword than Jean Claude Van Damme was. <laughs> so 
When the fuck did he pick up the sword? Continuity or big time. That's my first trash, guys. <laughs> that, that is a great one. Think about this. Um, like you guys all said, the voice acting on uh, Frank Dukes when he's a kid is younger. The scene that stands out to the, me the most is when um, Senzo tries to make a deal with him. And he's just like, what kind of a deal? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I rewound that shit like three times because I could not fucking deal with that shit, dude. Also... How to do a martial arts montage. We talked about this in Mortal Kombat. Have people fall to the mat over and over and over. That's like a thing that we saw the last movie. Mm. Um, when Frank Dukes is getting stretched out by ropes, I'm just like, I thought I was on Netflix, not yeah. Pornhub. What's going on here? <laughs> you got turned on by it? No, I was just like. Physique? I was like, this is just some Pornhub shit going on right now. Well, I was like, what the fuck's going it's on? It's the 80s, man. I guess. That was the thing, yeah. Also, like, why is the Kumite a secret event if Mr. Lin is hired by the IFAA? to show North American fighters around. If there's a uh, an international fighting association, like why would they be sponsoring a secret event and hiring people to represent competitors in a tournament? If it's like a secret underground tournament, would you even have a governing body involved? You would just find it because you were given some secret invitation to show up and you're there. Exactly. So there's why not a, there's no sponsorship, there's no there's no you know There's no concierge. Yeah, exactly. Like, Welcome to our fight. So they can't determine if this shit is secret or not. Maybe it, that's what Frank Duke said. And speaking of invitations, like you said, Darren, like shouldn't the invitation already be a qualification? Like why does Frank Dukes have to show up? And do a fucking, uh, was it the dim mock or whatever? Why does he have, even have to do that? Like, he got the invitation. The invitation was for him. Like, when he shows up and hands it over, like, he shouldn't have to do nothing else. Like, Ray didn't have to do nothing else. You should have already proven yourself to get the invite. Yeah. Thus, you're there. Like, it's like, it's like getting invited to somebody's wedding, but then you got to, like, write an essay to make it to the reception. Like, why I'm a yeah. friend or an invitee. Yeah, and then, yeah. then you can go to the reception after. That doesn't make any yeah. sense. Um, when Chong Lee says, uh, you know, very good, but brick don't hit back. And I'm just like, no shit. That's why it's called, <laughs> that's why it's called a fucking demonstration. Like, of course the brick's not going to hit back. And then, uh, I got a little issue with, uh, Ray Jackson and Shingo. Like, you know, I love Ray Jackson. I love the character, but why couldn't this movie be about Frank Dukes and Shingo going to Kumite as a duo? Why couldn't it be the two of them? Or maybe, you know, Shingo died in the last Kumite five years prior, and that's why Frank Dukes is so motivated to go. I feel like um, it was Shingo's dream from the beginning, because like you said, Jay, when he was like 11 or 12 or whatever, he's like, I'm going to go to the Kumite. You know, if it's Shingo's dream, why couldn't it be Frank going to avenge him, you know, against Chong Lee, yeah, or they sense. both go together, because you, you just set up having two main characters at the very beginning. And we never find out why he even dies. Yeah, huh? we never, just, You see just, a funeral yeah. photo, and that's it. Yeah, and if you're not perceptive enough, you're just going to assume that it's somebody random, and yeah. the kid just disappeared. So I, I thought it was a missed opportunity to have Shingo there. Like the so story- you're saying take out Ray Jackson and put him in, and then just carry the story the way it was, where he gets... Yeah, that's an alternative. Yeah. Like, or... And here's another issue. Well, okay. Well, first of all, like, yeah, have Shingo and Frank go as a duo because you set them up that way via backstory or have them go as a trio. Yeah. Maybe they both run into Ray or just right. make just make Ray a friend from his past. Yeah. But like, Shingo in the hospital with the saying anytime, anywhere would have made more sense because they grew up together. Exactly. And then Not, he has a reason to to want to go after Chong Lee. Or, like that. Or when Ray says, you, I'm going to kill you, maybe the two of them yep. both grew up with Shingo and they know 
that uh, Chong Li killed Shingo because up until this point, there's no reason for Ray to say, "Hey, you, I'm gonna kill you." Right. He has no reason to say that. If Ray and Frank Dukes were friends as kids, as with uh, as part of a trio with Shingo in the past, Shingo got killed five years ago at the last Kumite, mm-hmm. so Ray has a reason to call out Chong Li, yep. and we have uh, we have uh, emotional standing. Uh, for a reason as to why these two want to compete as opposed to I'm just going to go to honor you. Like, I, like I feel like there's more emotional weight involved that way. But I mean, one thing to think about too is that the script had some sinister rewrites. So, I mean, I don't know what the original script looked like. So it could have right. been. Maybe it, he it has yeah. it together in the end. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows what that original script looked like. But I mean, Oh, yeah. I mean, Frank Dukes doesn't talk about that in his story. It's just about him. So maybe that's why the story leaned that way. But I mean, who knows what the original script looked like? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I agree with Kerwin. There's a lot of missed opportunity there. I don't know if you guys noticed this during the movie, but Jean-Claude Van Damme does the splits. I don't know if you noticed that. Seven, Seven times. times, according to Mugga. Um, I don't like that they say the title of the movie right. uh, in the movie. It just seems so random. And just put in there, huh? Just yeah, to say it. Yeah, and I'm like, we've not once called the Kumite Bloodsport at all the entire movie. So when like Jackson says that, I'm just kind of like... There's probably a rule in Hollywood at the time that you have to say the title of a movie in a movie, and they I, did I that. I think it's in the trailer. I, oh, it's in the you, trailer? I think so. I have to double check. Do you think that was, could it have possibly been a line in the movie, and they named the movie after? No, I think they had Bloodsport from, be- blood from the beginning. You nope. think they forced it? You I think, think so. that line's forced? I think yeah. it's forced. Yeah, yeah cause, so. it, it feels forced. Because Frank Dukes... When he's telling um, Sheldon Latish and they're writing this, and he's writing the script, um, he tells him it's called Bloodsport. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Peter Griffin would be happy. So that's pretty you know, perceptive. I mean, he was happy that they, they said Bloodsport in the movie. He's like, oh, look, they said it. He's like, look, look, they, they said, said the title. They said I don't know if you guys have ever seen Family Guy, but there's an episode where he's waiting. It's like Superman 2. And they name. But they actually call it out. <laughs> yeah. Peter Griffin's in the theater. He's like, ah, they said it. They said the title. <laughs> they said the title. They said gotcha. the title. That's all it was from. Good call, <laughs> um, After, you know, when Frank Dukes gets away from the two inspectors that are after him, mm-hmm. wouldn't you tase Jackson and arrest him for assaulting you? Like yes. the way he he tackles both of them and then uh, Forrest Whitaker is <laughs> like, stay put or whatever. Yeah. Like, one of y'all tase him and handcuff him and right. bring him in. Like, I'm 99% sure he's an American citizen, yeah. you know, in this movie. Use your best discretion, inspectors. You can take him back for an obstruction of justice over international Absolutely. waters. Yeah, like, why Why not do that? He just assaulted you. Yeah, he just assaulted two United States officers. Right. I don't know. You don't I, just get up and handshake and say, oh, we'll figure that out later. Yeah, we'll figure it out later. That's yeah. so stupid. And then also, why did we need the military subplot in the first place? Like, him being in the, the Army or the Marines has no relevance to this plot whatsoever. The only thing we get out of this is a Scooby-Doo chase scene. Let me ask you something. Is that the only relevance to real Duke's life? That he was in the military, that they had to fill, that they had to put that in. Maybe, maybe he mandated that they had to put. Is it that in the, the movie. only thing that ties the events of the true story? Maybe he was a military guy. Yeah, because you can say like based on a true story, and only one thing has to be true. And it could have been way easier. Just hey, he was an ex-military guy, and now he's martial artist, and he didn't have to leave the military. He didn't have to abandon the military. Well, that was one of the things that I was thinking about too. Like in my trash is. I didn't understand why they even put that in there. And also, they have these two military cops who know what hotel he's staying in and can go at any time when they know he's going to be there and arrest him and take him back. Yeah. 
but yet they just kind of sit in Hong Kong and like they're eating food. Yeah. And they also they leave an entire meal on the fucking table and then they just leave, which pissed that. me off. Wasn't it funny though? Because like that one military dude walked up and they're like, "Oh!" And the the force worker and the other dude are like, "Hey, do you want to do you want to join us?" He's like, "Oh no no no! I never eat here." <laughs> just, <laughs> I didn't hear really. Yeah, he's just like, "Oh no, I never no, eat this here." This place sucks. It's got a C rating. <laughs> well, they throw the, the the piece of meat down. The dog doesn't even need it, and I'm like, "Oh, oh that's right." Yeah, and I was like, "Man, this guy has a point." The dog, yeah. Because it seems like they're they're kind of fumbling with the food a little. Yeah. Yeah. But when he walks up, they're like, oh, yeah, no, go ahead. You know, pull up a seat, like, join us. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, I, don't, I never eat here. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, the way he says it, it's just like, you guys are eating shit right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the way he says it. Um, you know, talking about things that aren't relevant to the plot or the movie overall, you know, Janice, she's not necessary in this movie. Um, yeah. She's literally here to show that, you know, Frank is having sex, yeah. that he has a sex life, <laughs> and that's it. You know, we don't know what paper she's with. She has zero character development or meaning in their overall plot. Um, she didn't even need Frank to get into Kumite in the first place because the second night she's there, and the third night she just walks in with the two military cops. Mm -hmm. So she didn't. She never needed him or anybody else to get into Kumite, especially the last night. Yeah, it's not that secret. Yeah, and she's unnecessary. Uh, not a fan. <laughs> um, you know, Jackson celebrating prematurely. Yeah, uh, he could have killed him. Dude, just keep going. Yeah, it's like uh, Bruce Lee said in Enter the Dragon, never take your eyes off your opponent, even when you bow, ever. Like, he couldn't take that fucking advice, so that pissed me off. Like we all said, Frank's sitting on the train thinking about Jackson and Janice with, <laughs> with the music, and I'm just like, homie, you've known these people less than 48 hours. Yeah. Like, yeah. you shouldn't have, have this shit. And this is where I go back to my Shingo point. If Shingo was in the hospital... Like I said before, you either have Shingo die in the previous Kumite for motivation, mm -hmm. or you have him get beat up by Chong Lee during the tournament. Now, if he was thinking about Shingo, that you would make sense. It. Or why not make Janice his girlfriend? Yeah. Why not just make her his girlfriend and she comes to China with him and they think Kumite is going to be just a tournament and it turns out to be much darker than it is. She could she could yeah. still be a journalist for all we know or she doesn't have to be. But like there has to be more. It makes the plot lines thicker, man. Yeah, it like, makes them deeper. This movie writes itself yeah. and I can't believe that this shit got written out or edited out like you guys are saying like I can't believe it got rewritten to the point where it's just like all the pieces are there how can you not make them fit Nothing's together connected, well yeah. yeah nothing is connected at all so I thought that was so stupid <laughs> um, Frank's fight in the alleyway why not just pull a gun on him from the beginning you know he's beating up people with a duffel bag I thought that was kind of whack <laughs> like I said before getting into the Kumite if it's so damn hard to get in how the fuck did you know Helmer and Rollins just walk in the two federal cops <laughs> like they literally just walked in like there was no there's no, you know, checking for ID. There's no invitation. Like they just got in. Why is Homeboy putting an Altoid in Chong Lee's shorts? Yeah. Like they lingered on that way too long. I did not know what was happening. I could not remember. Nobody saw him throwing. That's I wanted. To, dirt that's one of my face. biggest trashes. How does no one see that? I thought you guys would touch on it, but like really, like no one saw this oh, flash. It's so obvious. Well, Janice saw it because yeah. the camera was on her for like five seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah nobody saw that shit. What is the purpose? Like you said, Mugga, before we started recording, what's the purpose of turning the stage into a half pipe in the final? The very end. There's no there's no purpose in that shit. Maximum velocity. I, I guess when they want to run at each other, they could do like the Liu Kang, yeah. like <laughs> jumping up. Slow motion shot after slow motion oh, shot shit, yeah. after slow motion shot. Like I, I'm not a fan of, of that shit being used. What about used. the zoom ins? I thought you would touch on that. The They're constant not. zoom ins like on the, the bandana and the facial expressions like... 
very hey look at the reaction the v, the v shot yeah. yeah they're not as bad as like a john woo yeah they're not as bad as that i would say but like those slow motion shots were killing me sometimes i think i think they were added just to make this movie 90 minutes long yeah. honestly when jackson says you know anywhere any place anytime you need me i'll be there and frank says i love you my friend and i'm like y'all don't know each other yeah. you do not know each other at all like you don't you don't even know how old each of you is. Nothing. All you guys know is that you play You're karate chess. Both from the USA. That's it. Yeah. Oh, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> um, and then at the very end, so is Frank Duke's not gonna get like court-martialed for abandoning his posts? No. Like we're not gonna have day. a we're not gonna have a resolution with him in the military at all. Like we're just gonna smile and hop on a plane and you know you know bow to to Janice who might be doing it wrong. I don't know. The other thing that I have a problem with as far as closure goes, you know, one being the military, two is that there's no resolution with Senzo because we spent the first 15 minutes of this movie going to his house, having the 11 minute flashback or 10 minutes, 50 seconds, right? Yeah, having that whole flashback and then going to visit him, telling him you're going to the Kumite and we don't ever go back to the US and see Senzo or his wife or anything. There's no funeral, there's no Well, that actually is a really he good got point. Sick. Well, they said he was sick, but Well, no yeah, role. but if you're going to build the beginning of the movie and build the whole story on why Frank got into this like, you know, lifestyle, lifestyle you would think that the whole reason he's going to the Kumite is to honor, you know, Tanaka and then come back and he would present it to him and like well, Tanaka just, and his son in that the yeah. way they presented it. Yeah, because the last time we ever bring it up is well twice I think we bring it up is the Dimmock demonstration because they want to, they want him to mm. prove that he's trained. that he's trained uh, under Senzo mm-hmm. that he's a Shidoshi mm-hmm. and also when uh, him and Janice are arguing at the hospital talking about like his master you know he wants to be the best he can be so I thought that was complete bullshit how they just didn't bring up any of that shit at the very right. end I thought that was super stupid but like we talked about they might have taken that out of the movie so well I think. It might have been because, well, first of all, it was bullshit, but <laughs> Frank, pro, bullshit. Frank didn't know because I, I was reading too. I mean, I read so much. I, I, read, I could have done a whole podcast just on this Frank Dukes guy and the stuff he had said. Okay, we'll, we'll do extra credits on that. Yeah, yeah, but like he, I'll just real quick, just one thing was that um, at one point he said he had died, I think, in the late 70s in Hong Kong. But then in like a 2014 or 2015 interview, he had said that he died in L.A. The real guy. Yeah, the, his Shidoshi, um, Tanaka. Uh, Tanaka, that he had died in L.A., and so, like, even this John Johnson, the one from the L.A. Times that was interviewing, he's like, you literally said this, and now you're saying this. And it's just, again... Two different stories. Who, I mean, maybe that was, like, where Sheldon Latish is like, you know what? We're not even going to... We're just going to gloss over this fact and yeah, just say, he out. was sick, we'll leave it to everyone else. Imagine he died or something like that. Because I don't even think... Because, again, it's... I mean, I'm getting from this is that it's all just made up. So he probably doesn't even know. So and like he just goes back on everything he has said. Can we previously. reach out to Frank Dukes? Like try to get him on the cast for well, like extra credit? You can look him up on YouTube and there's videos of like when some of the stuff has come out, like where people are like discrediting him, like everything he's saying, and he's just like talking to this reporter. He's like, Oh, they're just jealous. They're 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 so upset let's, with me, they just want to discredit it. me. And it's like, maybe he would. I don't know. I'm gonna reach out, Kerwin. I'm gonna do some work for you guys. Do it. I'm Let's down. see if I can get him. I want that. Get Tommy Wiseau too. I hey, read it. Just yeah. What's that? So <laughs> like get Tommy Wiseau from the room. <laughs> that guy too. We'll yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys clear the air. We'll get him. Yeah. Um. But moving on to my treasure. Here we um, go. 
I love uh, when Frank, uh, you know, serves the tee blindfolded and he just blocks the strike. Oh yeah. I love the blindfold training. I love the whole training montage. I love, I love that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, the irony that you know uh, him and uh, that Frank and Jackson meet playing um, Karate Champ, and then John Claude Van Damme obviously stars in Street Fighter later. So I thought that was like a cool irony. And then, you know, I like when Jackson says, you know, aren't, aren't you a little young for full contact? And then Frank says, aren't you a little old for video games? So like little, little cool Great banter, humor, yeah. you know, one liner banter yeah. like that. Uh, speaking of Ray Jackson, uh, everybody should find themselves a friend like as, as supportive as Jackson, for sure. Like you said, Jay, when Jackson does the Dim Mac and he's just like, see, not a scratch on it. I thought that was <laughs> pretty hilarious. Um, you know, John claude Van Damme doing the splits and the nut punch. You know, you know, we just did Mortal Kombat. So seeing that again was pretty hilarious. I don't even know if this is a treasure anymore. But when Jenna says, Frank. I don't want to see you get hurt. And Frank is like, then don't watch. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all you got to do. And then when uh, Frank asked Janice, like, why did you become a reporter? And Janice says, what does that have to do with it? And I'm sitting in, you know, in my house and I'm like, yes, please tell us. Cause I would love to know why you're in this fucking movie. <laughs> I would really love to know why. And the writers give her no identity. We roll them back into trash. I don't give a fuck. The writers give her <laughs> zero identity. When he asks her, why did you become a reporter? And she says, my dad was a reporter and I was pretty good at writing. So it seemed like the right thing to do. And I'm like, that's it? That's the best y'all can come up with? Like, they don't give this girl any substance no credit, whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. I agree. If they were going to, they, they put her in the movie. If they really wanted to have her in there and she was supposed to be this journalist who's an investigative reporter. Why not show her like sneaking in, trying to find like the underbelly of investigating. the like, martial arts yeah. world and investigating and like... Or reporting. Reporting, <laughs> yeah. you know? Going back like, to her boss and saying, look what I found out. Yeah. You know what movie does this better? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. April. April O'Neil. April O'Neil yes. is sneaking around New York, is in danger of losing her job, has clashes with the Foot Clan, has clashes with Casey Jones, has clashes Getting with the Turtles. Up, yeah. yeah, like there should be a B plot where her investigative journalism is directly conflicting with, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme's ability to participate, Agreed. you know, Agreed. like make them an item or not make them friends, associates or whatever, but like maybe her involvement or her willing to get involved or record the events of this Kumite is jeopardizing his chances of even competing. And maybe at one point he's confronted it and they're saying like, Hey, you know, that girl snooping around, you're going to be disqualified if she keeps coming around. Like that could be a great B plot. We don't need the army. We don't need any of that shit. Like if you're going to involve this reporter, why not have her interest? directly conflict with Jean-Claude Van Damme's because by the end of it she don't get no resolution either because right. she got no report that she wrote she has no she paper she just gives him the sign of uh, congrats yeah well, she just gives him the respect and, and she don't even get on the plane nothing what well, would have been a better way for the two of them to meet instead of this whole like charade with like a trick in the hotel would have been her sneaking into like you know alleyway to the Kumade to like report Getting caught by that one character, Van Damme coming to save her, that's how they meet. And it, it just it would have tied in better if you're going to tie in a love story. Because I would believe, it's more believable for me to believe her, that she loves Jean-Claude Van Damme's character that much more because he saved her life. As opposed to like, well, he kind of just saved her from some like douchey guy hitting on her. Yeah. Like, it just, it's not believable. Yeah. yeah and then they, they bang once and yeah. and then that's it. It's just like, give, yeah, give, them, give them that or give them a history. Yeah. Right. Like, right. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, guys. This treasure turned to trash real quick. Um, Frank, why did the fuck do you even stick around, Janice? You don't even know her. Like, who cares what she thinks at this point? Who cares? Just walk away from her. You don't care. Yeah, you and Jackson have a longer history. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then... I, I guess my last my last thing, like I probably have like three treasures, honestly. My last treasure is when uh when dude is just like you know the rich dude that yeah. Janice comes in yeah. with the second night. So when one of the organizers at the tournament says, Oh, we have to disqualify him, it's too late or whatever, and the guy says, No such thing is too late, and he puts the money in his shirt collar, and then as soon as Frank walks in, <laughs> he, takes it he, he, takes he pulls it the money out. Yeah. And I was like this is the funniest part in the whole movie. I loved it. But, I mean, other than that, that's my uh, trash and treasure. I, I thought you guys were going to bring it up. No one brought up the fact on a trash where we had to see Jean-Claude Van Damme put on his underwear when he seen his man ass. Yeah, like, I thought you guys so were going to bring it up. I was going to bring I it up. I left it for you guys, man. Like, I'm like, why is that in appeal. here, dude? You know? 1980 sex appeal, man. There you go. Okay, that whole sex scene is probably just for him to show his ass to, I bet. Yeah. Probably. Just to have him have less clothes on, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. No relevance to the Yeah, story. I mean, Not honestly, either, you know, make that little love story arc a little more compelling and in-depth, or just take it out and make it a complete action movie. Like, yeah. there's no point to have the love story, or make it more in-depth if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, ready to give a rating. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. All right, Mugga, how much would you pay to watch Bloodsport? I, I understand it's bad. I understand. It did not age well. But I do hold it near and dear, and I will still watch this movie. Like, I'm glad it's on Netflix. I can watch it a couple more times right now. I'm not giving it a high. I'm giving it a very low, and I might get, I'm going to give it a 10. Oh, shit. I'm going to give it a 10. I, 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 I felt could, that coming on. I could not give it a five because, and I'll get into this. I wanted to ask you, I think this is like an ultimate guy movie, minus some bullshit, but I, I, I do love this movie. I'll explain your 10 when yeah, I... Yeah, but I, I could not go above a 10, though. It's a very low 10. I was between 5 and 10, but I'm going to give this a low 10. Okay. Darren, how much would you pay? I'm right there with Mugga. I'm, uh, I'm a 10. Low 10, because going to film school, doing all this stuff, it's just not well done. There's so much that is just left out. There's something so there. So much to be desired. Yeah. But there's just so much badass guy stuff that you're like, I have my popcorn. Guys are breaking kneecaps. Guys are dying. There's blood. There's kicks. There's Van Damme in underwear. Like, (laughs) there's so much to be desired and so much that you just get answered. But as a movie, it's a low 10. As a guy flick, as nostalgia-wise, you know, I remember this from my childhood. I remember being badass. Granted, now as a 37-year-old, it's not badass. But as a kid, 10 years old, badass. So it's a solid 10. And I would do that now till the day I die, man, just based on that stuff right there alone. All right. Nicole, how much would you pay? I'm going to give it a five. I mean, it's not surprising. I guess you guys heard my my trash. But, I mean, it's a, I'll give it a high five. Like, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed watching it for the fact that you know, there was great fight sequences, the music and the montages. And it's got that 80s nostalgic feel, even though I didn't watch it as a kid like you guys did. There's something about it, just like the way it's shot. And it's a good movie for the time that it was made in. So I give it a five and I stand by by that. Respect it. Jason, how much are you paying? If you would have asked me like 
a couple months ago and just said, hey, like, what would you give Bloodsport? You give it a 15. I'll give it a 15. Yeah. All day, Agreed. every day. That's Agreed. how I was too. Yeah. Um, granted, it had been a while since I'd watched it. Um, I do own it. And then it was on Netflix and all that stuff. And so. that's the worst part. You have to go back and watch it. Yeah. So, I, well, that's the best part. I want to go back <laughs> and watch this shit. So I watched it and I'm like, I'm still like intrigued by the beginning because I have seen that the least amount. Like I didn't watch the beginning a lot. I always caught it on TV. That's how so we all you catch it after it started. Yeah. yeah so it's like right. it's like cool to actually watch it from the beginning and see like like we were talking about like Chong Lee with the ice or. Um, just some of the other like montage. Dude, things. the black dude jumping up in the tree like he's Spider Man. Like oh, he with just, the with the coconuts. Yes, like and then chops him in the half? coconuts. Wasn't a fan of that. <laughs> oh. dude, no one is, but it's still cool because it's 1980s. I'm just saying the whole scene in general in the beginning. Like I, I hadn't seen that the least. So Chong right. Lee kicking the ice. Yeah, that's yeah, what Jason just said. Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Yeah, I those are like yeah. those are like fifty yeah. pound Amazing. blocks of ice. Yeah, dude, it was and nuts. he's breaking them like. They're <laughs> and paper. the sumo guys throwing just heavy objects yeah. and tearing people <laughs> yeah. down, dude. The black I, guys jumping thirty feet in the air, chopping coconuts with bare hands. I just like that it was like all badass. It showed a lot of them, um, and it was like it was all kind of different. But like going back and watching, I mean, there, there's a, one thing I noticed from the get go is just the dubbing is just so bad. Um, but I'm gonna go ten. I like it. It's a great movie. It is a guy movie. I think it does rank in my top five of guy movies. Yes. Like, we're going to say, hey, like, obviously, Nicole, you'd run a big fan of it. Yeah. But if it's like, if it's all of us minus you, we're like, hey, Pum Blessword, like, fuck yeah, put that shit on. We all want to watch this. So I just like, you think about Predator, you think about Rocky um, Four. Rocky Four. Yeah. Like, all these guy movies yeah. were like, typically, maybe some girls don't care for it as much. So it's like, I put this in that genre of guy yeah. movie. We can so, all get around it and watch it as guys and be like, this is cool. Yeah, it's the 12th or 13th or yeah. 27th time I've seen Agreed. this movie, so I'll watch it again. Um, but yeah, I'm going to give it a 10. It's all 10. Yeah, thank you for bringing up uh, Dude Climbing in the Trees. <laughs> Yo, kid, I mean, does he have to be hopping around like a fucking monkey? And, <laughs> like, I, like, in, like, I saw him climbing up the trees and shit. I was like, okay, you know, whatever. That's bad. But once we get to the fucking, like, tournament and shit, like, I'm just like, for real? Like, he's gotta, he's gotta be, like, hopping around That's on all That's how they fours. depict him, right? Yeah, I was just like, I was like, fuck this shit. I was like, yeah. he, couldn't, he couldn't just practice a martial art. Like, I... I looked up and I could not find a single martial art where you hopped around burning sixty thousand calories. Did you look? Did you look it up? Really? I, I tried to find a fighting style that made you hop around like that, and I could mm. not find one. Like I know capoeira. There's a lot of dancing and like, but not where you're squatting down like I that. Thought yeah, of yeah too. but not like not like this bullshit. And I was just like, but he's also one of the most memorable characters because you're like, wait, is that real? No, because he's garbage. That's why he's memorable. Right. So that's that's my last trash that I'm gonna tack on because fuck that. Like I. I hated that shit um you know dude like like you're saying jason like this is like a like a fucking guy movie i it's so bad it's good yeah. and and i know I we just we, we recently did mortal Kombat, and i was actually talking to dominic about this over the weekend but i think when i look at mortal Kombat, there are two things about it that i like and everything else can go to hell when i think about this movie it's so bad it's good so i'm gonna give this movie a very 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 high five I'm going to give it a very, very high five because like I would only watch 
the tournament stuff. I wouldn't watch anything else. Unless that's what you do. So you like the fight yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love the fight Which stuff. Which is why you watch the movie. Yeah, but it's just like if you're if you're asking me, like I, I'd probably pay five bucks to watch Bloodsport. Like I'm not I'm not as attached to it as like, you know, other movies that we've done. But like like I, I was really thinking about Mortal Kombat a lot watching this movie. Hmm. And I'm just like, it's better than Mortal Kombat, trust me. It I is think so too. It is much better than Mortal Kombat. But like when I when I think about a lot of the shit that I'm watching and I'm just like, this movie doesn't even start until he gets to Hong Kong. Like we don't need the first half hour of this movie. Can I ask you a question though? Yeah. Is this better than Street Fighter? No. Okay. Well, really? well, well, oh, no, wait, 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 wait. We're going home and watching Street Fighter. Okay. Is this better than Street Fighter? There are two folds to this question, as Dwight Shoot would say. Street Fighter's I think Street Fighter has a better plot, but action wise, this movie's better. Yeah, I think I think this movie has the fights, like the fights for sure. They they nailed the fights. Is Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter the one where they go out on the boat and they end up on the remote? That's Mortal Kombat. That's Mortal Kombat. That's Mortal Kombat. Street Fighter takes place where? In some fictional land, Saigon. It's like some fictional <laughs> yeah. third world yeah, it's country. A, okay, we gotta go home and watch. Street yeah, Fighter. I have it. I'll let you borrow. But it. I, I will I say this: like DVD player, I right? kind of like how you guys are talking about your nostalgia. I have more nostalgia tied to Street Fighter. Okay, yeah. same okay. Kerwin. And I'm not gonna lie; like I would rate Street Fighter higher. I'll tell you right now, I'd rate it higher because I was like attached to that movie when yeah. I was you a kid. You played the video game though, big time, right? Yeah, video game. I watched the movie all the time when I was a kid. So there like, you go. I I have that attachment with this movie. I don't have that attachment but like it is better than Mortal Kombat and I would only really watch the last maybe half hour of the movie probably so do you struggle when you rate do you struggle with the nostalgia part sometimes there's Som- no connect sometimes no I do I think the one time I might have given a movie I mean I've only given two movies 20s you know what I'm saying yeah so like and then what like, are those two movies uh, Back to the Future and uh, um, Ocean's Eleven. Uh, Those are the only two movies I give perfect Ocean's ratings 11, for. But like, future, um, like Face Off, like Face Off, I give that a fifteen because I love the shit out of that movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I just love that movie, and so I, it boosted up my score. But I think, I think with this movie, like, if I'm being, if I'm being honest, like, I wanted to give it a ten, but I, I really thought about other movies that I've given tens to. I can't go ten, like, for whatever You're reason. Not connected to it. I can't go ten in my heart of hearts, but it is a very, very, very high five for me. But I'll give you a high five after this too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll give him a high five too. Kerwin, I'm going to agree with you on the Street Fighter thing because I haven't seen Street Fighter in a while, but I know like I would like that movie way more than this movie because the as a connection. kid, I, yeah, I watched it as a kid. My cousins and I would play the video games. Like that was better characters. Yeah, but yeah. but it's just it's more nostalgic to me. So yeah, and I and I thought like you're saying like if you're asking if I'm struggling with nostalgia. I, I went into Mortal Kombat thinking, oh, this is a 15 because I love it so much. And when I was done watching it, I was just like, I don't know if this is a zero or a five by the time I was done. Dude, you kind of, like, you romanticize some of those movies. Like, you think about it and like, oh, it was such a great movie. I love the game and this and that. And then you go back and watch it now and it's just like, you're horrified on how bad it is. Well, that's, that's, kind of how, that's how I, I felt about this movie. movie. Yeah. 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 And like, 100%. well, and I never thought about this movie that way. But well, I remember this Mortal being Kombat a badass idea. movie. And Bef- then I watched it. I'm like, when why is I, this guy? When I text you guys in the beginning of the week I thought I would range between a 10 low 15 and do the research and I was contemplating giving this a 5 today yeah I just I was like just hear everyone else's research to it and all that stuff but I I was contemplating I was like I can't give it a 5 but Hmm. as I researched this and watched it again my 
value decreased like yes. as it was going on. Like, and I was laughing while I was, I was like, this movie's not good, yeah. dude. <laughs> and the other thing too, I love martial arts movies. I'm going to yeah. just say it out that like I watch a shitload of martial arts movies. So I am biased towards this kind of shit like this and spy movies. I, I love that type of shit, but having seen so many, I know that this isn't as good as other yeah, ones. There's a lot when, to compare Because when you text us, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, Bloodsport. I like Bloodsport. Yeah. And then now that you know we're here analyzing the shit out of it, I'm just kind of like, I like this movie a lot, but like, do I really own, do I like the movie or do I just- Do you like, like the idea of the movie? Or do I like the last fight or the last yeah. couple fights? And that's right. about it. So I had to look at it that way. Well, yeah, I mean, I know too, like you've talked about The Raid a lot and all these movies that have like a ton of like- Even older movies from the 80s, like Jackie Chan stuff. Yeah. Like those are way better and have yeah. much better, like Rumble in the Bronx, Police Story, all these movies around the same time had way better action, way better martial artists, way better plots- way better directors, way better writing. So, you know, I might be shitting on a lot of people's hopes and dreams, maybe, that love Bloodsport, but, like, to me, like, this is, like, middle, low-tier martial arts flick. Mm. So what are we giving this, Mugga? We were giving this an $8. I respect that. Yeah. $8? High five. <laughs> it's a high five. <laughs> it's a high five. $8 yeah. if we're paying to it's watch Bloodsport. Okay. No, that sounds, that sounds reasonable. Do you take what Jason is saying as far as the ratings that they're giving it? We're right around there. I mean, I, I, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, I think very, you and very, I were... very deep observation though. We're Darren, Jason, myself are older. Where I think we grew up on this. You two, I think, didn't. We give it a higher rating than you. I mean, got to factor that in there. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, yes. you know, like I, I think if you have someone that had just seen this, they might even contemplate a zero. <laughs> you know, what I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know. I know Elizabeth Kip asked me though, like, where can she find that purple eyeshadow they use for the bruises? <laughs> oh, so, it was amazing. Yeah, it I was gotta, the brightest shade of purple. It even I think had a touch of glitter in it too. <laughs> so we got we got to find that too. Let's get to the important question though. What question is that, Bugs? Darren, I'm going to ask you this and Nicole. If Tom Cruise is in this movie, who would he be? Um, he's not Frank Dukes. I don't think Tom Cruise could be in the. I think he, if Tom Cruise was in the, the movie, he would have to be, in my eyes, like the main guy. Well, that's based on his historic roles. Let them ponder on it. <laughs> I don't think Tom Cruise can be in this movie. I don't. No, he, he has fits. to. You have, you have to pick a role. You have to pick a character. You have to replace someone with him. You have. That's to. our. That's our game. Yeah, you have to. I think he's got to be Ray Jackson, in my opinion. I. Uh, Historically, with the type of roles he does, he's the main character. He's Frank Dukes, yeah. but he doesn't fit in any other role. He could be Ray Jackson, just but more but Tom polished. Cruise can't do the splits. He can't do the martial arts scenes. I I picture him as maybe one of the the undercover agents. Oh maybe, God! Maybe the <laughs> military guy that walks into the shower and goes, "Where are you?" Well, Tom Cruise I, could do the running part, like running. He could the city. He's a great <laughs> runner. So running across the campus looking for Frank Dukes. Maybe or yeah, running through Kowloon, you know. He's not the city. he's not the martial artist that we come to know in this movie. So okay, Nicole. Uh, maybe he's one of just the random fighters in the tournament. Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe one of the guys that just breaks his back like without even getting squeezed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard because I would just want to put Tom Cruise as the main guy, but I mean, and this is without changing the script, correct? Yeah. This is just as is. Because I don't want to put him as, you know, one of the undercover federal cops because they have such a minimal role. And if they were going to expand upon that, Tom Cruise could probably, like, really do something with that. Yeah, I think he would either be, like, that Muay Thai fighter or 
Yeah, I don't know. Wait, 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 wait. I just thought of something. If we're going with physique, he's got to be the main role. Okay. Okay. Is that where we're going with this, Muggs? You can it's do whatever, whatever you want. want. You want. We ask this on every movie. I, I, Tom, Tom Cruise doesn't belong in this movie. That's my final answer. No, it can't be your final. So we'll go with the main character. Um, so he's the fin- he's the main. Character. He could be Janice. I don't know. <laughs> I was saying the same thing. He could be Janice. Yeah. yeah I mean, did. that's how limited role she doesn't have to do anything. Doesn't do anything. He could even be a well, but Mr. Lynn's so great. Yeah, like, I love yeah. Mr. Lynn. Oh, you couldn't take yeah. Mr. Lynn out. He yeah. could be Ray Jackson. Yeah, yeah, he could I be Ray Tom Cruise Ray. could be the young Van Damme. What kind of what? deal? <laughs> Jesus. No, he could be he could be um the rich guy at the tournament that uh Janice goes with the oh, second yeah. night. He yeah. could be that Maybe guy. Maybe he's the guy that stuffs the money in the pocket and then yeah, takes yeah. the money back. That's him, yeah. Yeah. That's the rich guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I like that. That's it. It's a wrap on Bloodsport. Yeah, so uh eight dollars. Eight bucks. So in the words of Tom Cruise. Fuck you, Sally. Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's 2-0, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. When you were like, I saw you put Bloodsport on and I went... I looked at Nicole. I said, we have to watch it. It's one of my favorite movies all time. We started watching. I said, what are we doing? (laughs) I said, I do not remember it being this bad.